This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. All right, welcome to the Old Time Guys Rock and Roll Show. Old times, good times. What a week it's been. Oh, Jesus. I'm Aaron Camaro. Chris Sinzak, are you still with us? Barely, but I'm here. People have been wondering, where were you guys last week? Well, I mean, we've got a hell of a track record over the years of not really missing a whole lot of weeks. I mean, over nine years, I'd say our track record is pretty damn good. But last week was a killer. (laughs) That's for sure. Health problems galore for both of us. Yeah, we're just a couple of old-time rock and rollers. We rocked so hard when we were younger that we're definitely paying the price now. The the, the toll is due, and it's here. Yeah, last week I uh, threw out my back, and it was awful, and it hurt for a long time. It still hurts a little bit, but I'm still I'm still kicking, still alive. And Chris, you've got problems of your own. Yeah, I've got foot problems, and such, such to the point that I... Wound up in a walking boot and and rolling around on a knee scooter. So I'm really getting old now. Wow. You have to paint some flames on the side of that thing or something. It felt like I had flames inside of the boot. Yeah. yeah. But the good news is we still got Rock and Ron, and he's in worse shape than either one of us, so that always makes us feel better. Yeah. So it, when when things are bad, you just think, it could, I could be Rock and Ron. Yeah, it could be so much worse. So much worse. <laughs> But yeah, we're back with you once again this week. You know, we feel bad about kind of leaving everybody hanging last week. We did our best, but we were defeated. But what you get in return for your patience and your love is a two-hour-plus episode today where we're going to go back in time to 1987 and go through an old Hit Parader magazine, and we're going to talk about all the cool stuff we're going to find inside. It's a big anniversary issue, so that is why it's going to take us two hours. So you guys reap the rewards of that. We appreciate your patience but before we get to all that we've got to take care of our business and you guys have been around us long enough to know that we just love reviews and recommendations we love to get them from Podchaser, from apple podcasts we like to get the recommendations on facebook however you want to give them to us we'll take them we love them and we got two right here we got a good one and we got a bad one <laughs> yes, we do. So I'm going to go with the one with the most stars first, and that's a sweet pod chaser review. Comes to us from Warren Edward LaRue Baker, our good friend. Five stars. Got to love that. And it goes like this. There is no better music podcast. Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak bring unprecedented knowledge and enthusiasm to each episode. Sweet. Gotta love that. Five stars from a good friend of ours. That's a awesome listener. You hear his name every single week amongst the geeks of the week, and uh, we love him for it. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you, Warren. That's really awesome of you to do that. Keep keep those coming on Podchaser. We love to get them on there. It's a great site. And then we got another one. This one doesn't have quite as many stars. <laughs> it's entitled Not a Kiss Fan. It's an Apple podcast review. Comes to us from 91Z28, and it goes a little something like this. Don't they have a separate show for Kiss? Come on, man. It's getting worse. Two stars. Okay. Here's the deal with this. This is as bad as that sucks. This is something I can use as a really good example. You know, every single week we're here on Decibel Geek, 
we're always asking for reviews and recommendations and they're really really important because you know one we always tell you people are looking for new podcasts all the time they come across your awesome review they go hmm decibel geek that sounds pretty awesome i'm going to give it a try and the other big part of that is how these reviews and recommendations affect our standings in the ratings so for example and this is a perfect example this review came in on october 14th so on october 13th we decibel geek podcast were in the top 10 all-time music history podcasts which is a true honor you know we're we're honored to have that many reviews and recommendations and downloads that puts us right up there in the top 10 with people like dolly Parton and robert plant and famous people which is very very cool on October 15th, we're dropped out of it. We're down to number 11. So when we get a review like this and it's only two stars, I mean, it hurts. It hurts us bad, you know? And we got people that love it and say, hey, we need more kiss. We got people that say, hey, enough with the kiss already. And there's some people go, hey, it's just right the way it is. You know, we actually hadn't done a kiss podcast in its entirety in quite a while. So, and that was fun last week with uh, professors Matt Alshbach and Court Lewis because they got the new book out, Kiss and Philosophy, and we wanted to talk about it and figured it'd be a fun time. And, and we got a crazy story out of court, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. So I guess basically now is the time when we plea for more reviews and recommendations. And based on this, because like I said, last week, hard rock and heavy metal music had representation in the top 10 music history podcasts of all time. This week, none. We're out. We're out. Just because of that one simple two-star review because they don't like Kiss, knocked hard rock and metal out of the top 10. <laughs> it sucks, man. We want to be in the top 10 again. So now more than ever, we love the Pod Chaser. We love the uh, Facebook recommendations. But please get on Apple iTunes and leave us a great review with five stars to help pull us back up to where we like to be, where we feel like we're right up there with the rap podcast and the country music podcast and the trip hop podcast that are all in the top 10 and we're representing because we're the ones that are closest to doing it takes one little bad review with two stars to knock us out it's probably going to take a whole bunch of five stars to get us back up so please leave us an apple podcast review we really need it now yeah, get us back in there because I don't think Dolly Parton's going to be doing a Quiet Riot episode anytime soon. Heck no, you're not going to hear her talking about Kiss, but, you know, some people like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear her talk about Kiss. <laughs> Me too. I bet you she's met Kiss sometime over the years. That would be a photo I'd like to see. Heck yeah, that's a podcast episode I'd like to listen to. Dolly Parton talks about her time with Kiss. Yeah, she played keyboards on the Dynasty Tour. <laughs> Stop talking about KISS. Our reviews and our standings are at stake. <laughs> yeah, edit that out. <laughs> oh, man. Tough times this week. But, you know, what are you going to do? We carry on. We do what we do. We love our fans. We love our listeners. We love everybody that supports this show. Thank you for your reviews and recommendations. And thank you to the people that enjoyed last week's episode, our talk with Court and Matt, talking about the Kiss and Philosophy book. It was a lot of fun. True honor for me to be included on the back cover of that book. It's on sale now. And check out their podcast. I think, what, the Rock and Roll Professors? The Rock and Roll rock and Profs? Yeah, Rock and Roll Profs, I think. Yeah, so check them out. Very cool, guys. We thank them for coming on the show. And we also thank the most awesome people in the entire world, 
The people that went out and took that episode off of Facebook and took it off of Twitter, they shared it, retweeted it, all that good stuff. And you know what that makes them? Mm-hmm. Automatic honorary Geeks of the Week. That's right. Geeks of the Week this week are Adam Cox, Rockin' Ron Runyon, Decibel Geek TV, Simon Cat, Bach Okobers and Fire Podcast, Kristen Schimbeck, Bill Elam, Matt Ashcraft, Samuel Wetz, Brant Cattell, Keith Rockford, The Bakery Podcast, Aaron Baker, Joseph Capone, Brent Tibbetts, James West, Shea Hargett, John Phillips, Julian Gill, Kiss Army Omaha, Rob Harris, Eric Luzier, Warren Edward, LaRue Baker, Mikhail Burrell, David Glenn, Christopher Stokes, Doug Fox, Chad Hill, Craig Turdich, Michael Baldy, Kiss FAQ, David Cathy, Eladio, Hakon Bergstad, Jay Shablewski, Ernesto Aguiar, JJP, Body of the Soul, Sean Cullen, Stick Stickman, Vet Halen, Scott Crouch, and as always... The Mooger Fooger. That's right. Those are our people. We love them a lot. They love us, too. That's why they do what they do. They share it. They retweet it. They help us get the word out there to other people that could possibly, maybe, leave us Apple Podcast reviews in the future. (laughs) That's right. Please do. (laughs) Because we need them. Good Lord, please help us out. We want to rock to the top. We're never coming back down. Are you ready to get back into 1987? Yeah, and before we get into today's talk about this Hit Parader magazine from 1987, just to remind you that Rock and Ron will be putting out the visual version of this, so if you want to follow along and see what we're reading, you can do it that way, too. That's kind of where the idea for the whole Hit Parader review sort of thing came from, was we got this cool thing going on over on YouTube, which is Decibel Geek TV. Our main man, Rock and Ron, handles that for us, and since he hasn't had no shows to go to or live performances to record for Decibel Geek TV, the poor guy ain't got nothing to do. He's been taking our episodes and making video versions of them, but it's just us talking. How exciting can that be? But with an episode like this, there's a whole nother visual side of it, too, because I've taken pictures of all the stuff inside this magazine, and I put it in a file for Rock and Ron. So when this comes out on the YouTube, probably in a few days from when you're hearing this, you're going to get to see everything we're talking about as we go through this today. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So we ready to flip this thing open? No, not yet. We got to take a look at this cover because it's badass. Like I said, it's from June 1987. It's the special anniversary issue of Hit Parader. It features Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes on the cover. That's the top story in the release of the Tribute album. And they're going to talk all about that. It also includes two giant pinups of Motley Crue and Metallica. This is an old magazine right here, but it's still got the posters in it. But we're also going to talk about Bon Jovi, Judas Priest, Dokken, Deep Purple, Megadeth, Striper, Dio, Motley Crue, Cinderella, Lita Ford, Ace Fraley, and Tesla in the course of this episode. So now, let's go ahead and flip it open. All right. If you want to subscribe to Hit Parader, 12 big issues, only 22 bucks. Don't send your money in. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hip Parader's still alive, isn't it? Well, they they like reconstituted and they're coming out as like a media outlet, I think. They're going to do like TV shows and movies. I don't think they're bringing the mag back, though. Yeah, but it's going to cover all the rock and roll. So, you know, that's going to yeah. be badass. I'm looking forward to that. I want to see what they yeah. do. I know Matt Pinfield's involved in that and some other really cool people. Yeah, I uh I'm a, even if it's not the magazine, I'm sure they can come out with some cool content. I'm 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 just happy to see something happening. We we lost our VH1 classic a long time ago and there hasn't been really anything to kind of 
take the torch as far as mainstream media goes. So I, I really hope it does well. And Hit Parade is such an awesome thing because it's been around for so long, you know, and it's covered so much, so many eras of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. it. It's a, it's a history piece for sure, as we're about to find out, because the very first thing I see is a big old advertisement, rock with a bite. It's posed to strike, talking about White Snake, and they've got a new album coming out on Geffen Records, featuring Still of the Night, Crying in the Rain, Here I Go Again, and Bad Bad Boys. I don't know. I got a good feeling about this one. I think it's going to be a hit. Yeah. This was uh, one of the first cassette tapes I got through Columbia House when I signed up. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think I still owe money for it. <laughs> We're going to be telling you shortly how you can get 12 cassette tapes for a penny. <laughs> well, you, you know, I the the first two tapes I got, and this is going to really expose me as a lame person, I got this and I got the Starship album that had We Built This City on it on cassette. Nice. No, I, thought, I thought you cut off the recording there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I did. This show's over. I was a little... I was a little confused back in those days. <laughs> a little conflicted, I'd say. Yeah. Well, I still was a fan of pop music, so it was a uh, I kind of straddled between pop music and rock music. And and White Snake, you know, Here I Go Again and Still of the Night, they were pop songs too. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they were changed. That whole band was changed to be that. Mhm. I I love the record. I still listen to this record. Oh yeah, some of those songs on there are timeless for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, shit, Here I Go Again, Still of the Night, you're going to hear those songs forever. Yeah, and John Sykes is great on it. Here's another thing I love about the Hit Parader magazine is all the awesome photos that are in this magazine. The cover photo with Ozzy and Randy Rhodes. I don't know, it doesn't get much bigger than this as far as rock and roll photography goes. it's uh, The picture of Randy is taken by Niels. Damn it, I always have a hard time with this name. Zlozauer. Neil Zolzlauer. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> he hung out with Michael Schenkner. Oh, yeah. And then the picture of Ozzy's taken by Mark Weiss. Yeah, he just put a book out. You know, those guys got so many good stories. Oh, sure. We should try to get Mark Weiss to come on. Yeah, either one of them would be awesome. Promise I'll practice saying his last name if we ever get him on it as a guest. <laughs> Sounds good. I conquered my shanker. I can do that, too. Yes, you did. Up next, we got a big old advertisement for the new album from Autograph. Loud and clear. Also featuring the songs Dance All Night and Every Time I Dream and the classic saying, If it's too loud, you're too old. I had no interest in this band back in the day. Did you? No. I mean, Autograph, what are they known for? That one song, you know? Turn, Turn up, up the radio. radio. I know I got friends that are big fans of this band, but I never really got into them. I don't know. It's just one of those things where I guess the older kids I'm hanging out with that are buying the music, because, I mean, we are pretty young in 87, it never came across my line of consciousness, I guess. Yeah, I didn't know anybody that, that really listened to them, but like, I've, I've heard that you know they've got some great tracks, and you know me, I love slick melodic rock from that era so i really probably should dive in and check this record out and we were supposed to have steve lynch the guitar player at rock and pod this year before it got canceled so maybe i should just check their stuff out more yeah maybe we should all take a deep dive on autograph one time if you like autograph suggest something for us maybe we find us an autograph expert and have him come on the show and explain it all to us 
You think anybody has the autographed poster autographed by all the members? Yeah, probably. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not only is this a poster of autograph, it is autographed by autograph. It's just so confusing. Paradox within a poster. Yeah, it's a a mystery wrapped inside a riddle inside an enigma. Well, oh, you're really you're really winning me over to autograph with all this. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm the new president of their fan club, apparently. <laughs> That's cool, man. All right, so turn the page onto the next. This is a section called Roots. Each month, Hit Parader sojourns back in time with a noted rock and roll celebrity to find out about his early years. This month's time traveler is none other than that rock and rodent, Stephen. Never miss a party, Piercy. That's a good photo of him. That is a pretty cool photo of him. I, always, I remember back in the day, so. I always I thought he was trying to be Paul Stanley. Yeah, I could see that for sure. I mean, look at there, the pouty lips, the poofy hair, you know. He's, yeah, I could see him as being definitely influenced by Paul Stanley in a lot of ways. And clearly inspired by Marilyn Monroe, judging by this photo. Yeah, that's weird. I don't know what's up with that. Maybe Marilyn Monroe didn't die and she just became Stephen Piercy. Hmm. What happens in Hollywood stays in Hollywood, I guess. <laughs> but in the article, Stephen Piercy is going to talk about his love for racing, how he'd be doing that if his management would not have banned him from doing that. <laughs> <laughs> he says they're afraid he's going to kill himself, so they won't allow him to race, even though that's what he wants to do. There was a mishap which convinced Steven to turn his attentions away from the racetrack and towards the performance stage. When he was a kid, Steven Piercy was in a bicycle accident, and he broke both of his legs. Huh. Did you know that? No, but that tells me that racing is definitely not the way for him. Yeah, that's where the band and the management's going, no, no, no. Remember when you broke both your legs? Yeah, this would be way worse. (laughs) Do you know he had a... I heard he had a twin sister that passed away like a year ago. Really? Yeah. Wasn't aware of that either. I love that they use his nickname here a couple of times, but for Never Miss a Party Piercy, it's all in a day's work. Nobody called him Never Miss a Party Piercy. I don't know. Apparently he wanted people to call him that, and he's pushing that nickname a little bit. Oh, brother. It's a terrible nickname. Yeah, yeah, it's used a couple of times in this article. (laughs) Never Miss a Party Piercy. too wordy. I'm Aaron. Never miss a podcast, Camaro. Yeah, that doesn't work either. (laughs) (laughs) He goes on to talk about some of the things that happened to him when he was a kid, but in the end he offers some good advice. Something I've always believed, even when I was a kid, is that you can do whatever you want as long as you do it well. I don't like doing things unless I feel I can eventually master them. That includes driving a race car or playing rock and roll. I'm the kind of guy who really doesn't go out looking for challenges. They just seem to find me. And when they do, I don't turn my back on them. That's Stephen Piercy. <laughs> the more you know. Pretty cool. I know I saw a, saw an old uh, concert poster the other day online. It was rad at Madison Square Garden with Bon Jovi opening for them. Wow. Yep. That's hard to imagine, but yeah, there was a moment there. Yeah, they were bigger than Bon Jovi for about a year, and then Bon Jovi exploded. That was before this magazine came out in 87. Yeah, Bon, bon Jovi was huge by this point. By then. But Rats yep. still holding their own, you know, right on the front couple of pages, there's Stephen Piercy. 
Uh, in case you didn't know, in 1987, Tama drums, they were made for metal. <laughs> you can it's just old. ask Dave Holland, Vinnie Apice, or Wild Mick Brown. They'll tell you. I'm not asking Dave Holland anything. <laughs> Especially now. Yeah, these are always fun to look at in retrospect. Uh, Let's see. Flip the page. We got a full-page advertisement from MCA Records for the new album from Andy Taylor entitled Thunder. Now, is that the guy from Duran Duran? It is. That's pretty cool. Have you not heard this? He was always the part of Duran Duran that I liked. I always felt like if they would have let Andy Taylor shine a little bit more, they could have really, really been one of my favorite bands. Well, it's a Thunder's a straight up hard rock record. It's pretty good. I gotta check that out. I don't have that one. I've got a different Andy Taylor album that's pretty hard rock and that I dig. And uh, Steve Jones from Sex Pistols helped produce this one. Oh yeah, that's right, right there on it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a good record. I like it. This is basically what we're looking at: is the uh, rock and roll internet of 1987. Yeah, pretty much. This is how you find out about new albums coming out. This is where you find out about the crazy inside stories. The only difference is is it it came in paper form, and by the time you got it, the news was already about a month old. Pretty much, and sometimes (laughs) completely made up. (laughs) Well, with that in mind, let's move on to the Information Center. All right. There's some interesting stuff going on in 1987. You may know by now that Quiet Riot and vocalist Kevin Dubrow have gone their separate ways. But the real story is how this parting took place. It seems that after the last gig on the band's QR3 road tour, they simply packed their bags and headed home on the tour bus, leaving Kevin asleep at the hotel. I couldn't believe it, said a startled Kevin, whose unpredictable behavior was given the reason for the split. I woke up, went downstairs and everyone was gone i felt like such a jerk after all we'd gone through for it to end like this was incredible pretty wild right there man choir rides just gonna leave them back at the hotel and head on home well i mean kevin dubrow had a reputation that preceded him so uh, and, and that's just what we heard publicly i imagine he was a pain in the ass to deal with on a daily basis from for those guys yeah, I mean, once the tour's finally over, I mean, you got to hand it to them. At least they made it through the end of the tour. But if Kevin's the reason, and it says right here, his unpredictable behavior, if that's the reason for the split, yeah, I could say, well, my work here is done. I'm going home. You know, fuck you guys. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, I, there's been a lot of bad stories, especially like in the early 2000s, uh, when, before he passed away, there was, especially in the Metal Sludge days, there was, quite a few stories about Kevin DeBro being just a real big pain in the ass. And I'm, you know, we lost uh, Frankie Vinali a few weeks back and, you know, that, but that uh, Kevin, before he died though, it seemed like he had kind of, I'm not going to say had a come to Jesus moment, but it seemed like he had finally kind of personality wise gotten on a more stable path. So yeah. I'm, I'm hoping things got in better order for him, but you know, obviously the drugs took him down. You can't, do cocaine like you did when you were 25 when you're 50 and isn't that how it went that was the way i heard it was that you know he'd actually cleaned up for a long time and it's the classic story of the old party guy hasn't done cocaine in years decides to sniff a couple lines one night for old time's sake and it kills you 
Yeah, you're not wired for it anymore after No, that's like Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. I think that was the same thing. Yeah, that's why I'll never touch the shit again, I'll tell you that. So if you partied hard when you were younger, and all of a sudden, you know, you're away from it forever, and all of a sudden the opportunity comes up one night, just say no. (laughs) Yeah, it it might cost you your life, it probably would. This is 1987 we're talking about? No, we're talking about 2020, (laughs) don't do drugs. (laughs) Right, and then um, after this tour, they would get Paul Shortino for a short period of time for a record. That's right, yeah, so yeah, that split up for a long time, that's a bummer. But this is some wild stories from 87. I like to hear stuff like that because, you know, this was in real time, and now we're looking at it in retrospect. Right. The next one's pretty interesting to me. What's the story with Black Sabbath? Just as it appeared the band was on the brink of revitalizing their career, stories have emerged that new vocalist Ray Gillen has been talking to former Whitesnake guitarist John Sykes about forming a new band. Apparently, some, some strange actions by SAB leader Tony Iommi convinced Gillen to explore an alternative venture. All parties still insist, however, that Sabbath's new LP, Eternal Idol, will be out shortly. Actually, That's it's going to take a little longer than that because we got to go in and redo the, all the vocals. Yeah. Isn't that how yeah, that goes? Yeah, they brought uh, Tony Martin back in at that point. So whatever went down there, man, it went down right in the thick of it. Yeah, I still wonder what, it, uh, although you can hear some of the demos with Ray on them on YouTube. Those yeah. are around. Yeah, there's a, you can order a double disc set that's got the two different versions all in one package. Yeah, but I still wonder what, it, you know, if they had fully mixed and mastered his work, what it would have been like. Because I think it would have been cool. But man, imagine Ray Gillen and John Sykes doing a project. That could have been amazing. Yeah, that probably would have been pretty cool. And, you know, John Sykes was fresh out of kind of getting screwed over on, in the White Snake deal. So, you know, here's two yeah. guys well known in 87. Could have been doing something awesome. I wonder what happened with it. I wonder what the strange actions by Tony Iommi were. 1987, there's no telling. Yeah. But they don't go into detail on this. That must have been one where Ray Gillen said, I'm going to tell you, but you can't print it. Well, at that point, I mean, Ozzy was huge. And I, at that point, um, there weren't that many people that gave a shit about Black Sabbath by this point. Did Ray Gillen ever release anything with Sabbath officially? He was, a, well, he, I don't know if it was Eternal Idol or Seventh Star. I think it might have been Seventh Star. He was, he did demos and they were going to record an album with him, but it fell apart. It was when Eric Singer was playing drums for him. Right. And then they must have got Glenn Hughes then at that point. Yeah. And the whole Black think, Sabbath lineup deal and the changes and all that's a convoluted thing. Yeah, because Eternal Idol, well, now I'm confused because Eternal Idol was Tony Martin, wasn't it? Yes. So did they bring Ray back to do Eternal? I don't know. I don't know either. I, I have it's to go confusing. back and listen to that episode we did years ago. Oh, yeah, the other side of Sabbath. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure somebody will correct us in the note in the comment section. But then Ray Gillen would go on to form Badlands. Yeah, with Eric Singer. And this must be then Black Sabbath was then where those two must have met originally. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's how they met each other. But pretty yeah, wild. Imagine a, a John Sykes and Ray Gillen project. That could have been pretty awesome. Yeah, really awesome. And he got to do it with Jake E. Lee, man. That was cool, too. Yeah. Oh, sorry to derail, anyth- or derail everything, but... 
somebody posted a link today to Reverb.com where they sell music gear. Somebody is selling a Gibson Les Paul that, well, recently was owned by Jakey Lee, and it's like a 59 Sunburst Les Paul. Mm -hmm. But before Jake got it, it was Ace Fraley's guitar. Oh, wow. And it was played on the Dynasty. It says it was played on the Dynasty Tour, although I think Ace only played the Black Beauty Les Paul. But, you know, it's got, like, customizations that Ace did in the 70s, and it's also the, the Sunburst Paul that Ace plays in the I Love It Loud video, according to this. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. $21,000. How much? $21,000. Wow. Put that yeah. sucker in a museum. Yeah, I wouldn't even play it. <laughs> Never. But yeah, sorry to derail. I just thought you'd be interested. No, that's cool to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Not that I could ever afford it, but man, that is cool to know. Yeah. Just, it's just cool to know that there's pieces of rock and roll history still out there. Yeah. That not sure. everything is lost to time. All right. All right, the next piece of information that Hip Parader's providing, they just got to say, Oh, that Ozzy. After feeding the press countless tales about his desire to head off to exotic parts of call, such as China and Tibet, the metal madman has been popping up all around the good old U.S. of A. First, he was seen, without hair of course, at a number of showcase gigs in and around Los Angeles. Then he popped up for a surprise appearance at last March's Freedom Jam in Indiana. I still have every intention of taking some time off and going overseas to some places I've never been before, the Oz said. But you haven't seen the last of me. I'll be back, I promise. Was this around the time that um, Ultimate Sin was out? Or was this after that? This would have been a little bit before Ultimate Sin well, what came first, tribute or ultimate sin? I think tribute, tribute came did, after right? ultimate sin. So is, this is probably around like tribute and no rest for the wicked. Which one came out first? I think ultimate sin came out in eighty five. Yeah, 86. so this would have been. Well, I guess we'll find out because we got the the whole cover story with Ozzy and it's talking about Randy Rhodes. Okay. So I'm guessing it's got to be around the tribute time. Is it's either tributes just been released or is about to be released. Right. This one's pretty interesting. Is David Lee Roth getting a little testy? It seems that during a recent David Lee Roth show in Baltimore, Maryland, David's security force reportedly decided to beat up members of the opening act Kicks after they played five minutes longer than planned. According to Dave's forces, certain Kicks members swung their instruments at Dave's crew as they were walking off the stage, prompting the scuffle. The Kicks guys, however, stated that they were attacked merely for playing too long. Those guys actually wanted to arrest me, said Kicks bassist Donnie Purnell. Donnie, Donnie Purcell. They've got it wrong in the magazine. That's what I thought. <laughs> My brain said Purnell, but it says Purcell, and now I'm confused. Yeah. You're correct, they aren't. Right on. I guess we won't be playing too many more shows with Roth on this tour. i got to ask Brian Forsyth about this. Yeah, see if he remembers what the hell the deal was with that. I mean, you kind of see both sides of it, though. You know, maybe this wasn't the first time they played Five Minutes Over. And Five Minutes Over is a lot when you're talking about a whole song for the headliner, you know? Something's telling me, though, the show was in Baltimore, which is Kix's home ground, so... 
Oh, I'm wondering yeah. if Thicket Kicks was just going over so well, and they probably got an encore, and that's why they played longer. See, sometimes in a situation like that, maybe Dave would have been smarter to say, you know what, tonight, just for tonight here in Baltimore, you guys headline. Yeah, Demi Ross not known for his humbleness. You guys go have some fun. Yeah, no kidding. Other tidbits and asides. Is Europe looking for a new lead guitarist for their American tour? Is Billy Squire thinking about recording a new LP before venturing out on the tour trail? Has Dokken decided to harden their approach in order to reach Platinum Paradise? Is Wasp's Blackie Lawless so upset over the performance of the latest LP that he refuses to talk to the press? Is Judas Priest considering a mini U.S. tour to support their new live album? I guess the answers to all these questions will be next month. (laughs) Yeah. But this is awesome. What a great way to kick off the magazine. The very first interview in here from Andy Setcher of Hit Parader, Ace Fraley, back on track. Cool picture Ace Fraley looks like hanging out at his lawyer's office. Yeah, he's got a big uh, encyclopedia section behind him, it looks like. Ace Fraley is rock and roll's mystery man. In the five years since Ace Fraley departed Kiss, the rumor mills have constantly spoken both of his recording plans and his personal problems. Yet, despite the continued interest in his life, Fraley has remained strangely absent from the rock and roll front lines. Finally, it seems that all the talk concerning Ace's musical aspirations has borne fruit. A new album featuring some of his hottest guitar licks ever. No, the tracks may not possess the instant magic of his classic work with Kiss, but as Ace is the first to admit, he still knows how to rock and roll with the best of them. Ace says playing guitar and making good music isn't something you forget overnight, he said with a characteristic cackle. (laughs) I love that you've got to write that. (laughs) I just pick up the thing and I start to play. Usually what comes out is pretty interesting. I think I understand street-level rock and roll fairly well, and that's what I played with Kiss and what I'm playing still today. It's been a long time since the last album for me, and having this one out feels great. The best part so far is all the old Kiss fans seem to be out there supporting me, and I'd like to take this opportunity to say thanks. So that's what you got going on in 1987. Like I've said a million times talking about Ace Fraley, I was a young kid when this is going on. I didn't know Ace was out of Kiss until I found out he was out of Kiss. And then when I found out he was out of Kiss, it's like, well, well then where is he? Well, nobody right. knows. Couldn't just get on the old Google and look it up, find out what's going on with Ace Fraley. You had to rely on Hit Parader magazine. And, man, whenever I saw Ace Fraley in a magazine, you can guarantee I bought that thing. I just remember... Around this was around the time I was getting into Kiss, and my brother had a friend across the street that had Kiss posters and stuff all over his wall. And he had, I don't think it was Kerrang or Metal Hammers, one of the European mags had a, a big fold out poster. It was called, it said like Kiss Then and Now, and it had all the makeup pictures and then pictures of them today. And like that was the first time I had seen Ace without the makeup. And I remember. It was. I think it was. Might have been from this same photo session because it looks like he's wearing the same outfit in the picture I saw. I just. I'm tying it to that, but yeah, I remember seeing that, and I remember thinking Ace looks nothing like I thought he would without makeup. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hmm. I don't remember ever thinking about that. I guess I, I just, was just so happy. You know, this was really, looking at this magazine and this timeline here, this is really, really an important part of my life as far as music goes because I was so, so excited when Fraley's Comet came out. I mean, it was, man, that's a big part of my childhood and part of my growing up was that album coming out because it really solidified me. It was, I, I don't think I ever... Outside of the the birth of my son and getting married and stuff like that, I don't think there's anything I ever look forward to more because it had been so long. Yeah, I remember. I don't remember this this stuff getting a lot of push on MTV though. I remember Kiss got pretty good coverage, but I think I saw the the Into the Night video maybe once during this period of time. Yeah, that's yeah. too bad because it was a good album. Yeah. Judging by the results of Ace's new album, he isn't in need of any good wishes to ensure his success. Backed up by a top-notch band featuring the likes of Anton Figg, better known as the drummer for the Dave Letterman TV band, Fraley proves on tracks such as Rock Soldiers and Breakout that he hasn't lost the loose vocal style and unique guitar stylings that first made him a star over a decade ago. Loose vocal style. I like the, the play on words with that. Well, that's true. He's it, Nobody sounds like Ace Fraley. Nope. Pretty cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. 1987 was a damn good year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Look at here. Full-page advertisement from Atlantic Records. From the fire to the streets. Overkill. Oh, now. Oh, taking over. Right taking here. over. Oh, that's a good one. I always loved the the winged skull. I always thought it was so cool. <laughs> yeah. My buddy Tommy had a T-shirt that when Avenged Sevenfold came out, it was an overkill shirt, and it's got the picture of the, the bat wings with the skull, and it says, get your own fucking logo. <laughs> <laughs> they did rip him off for that, didn't they? Yeah. Overkill's badass, man. It's, it's cool to look back and see something like that and go, yeah, you know, Atlantic Records believed in him enough to get him a full page in the magazine because some fans only got half pages and some got little small corners and stuff for their advertisements. But the ones with the full pages are pretty cool. There's some really neat ones coming up. The next segment is called Out to Lunch. Does food really make the man? Each month, Hit Parader finds out by taking Metal's biggest stars out to lunch. This month's lunch munchers are those wild and crazy guys in Megadeth. They got Chris Poland, Dave Mustaine, Gar Samuelson, and of course Dave Ellefson. Talent wise, this might have been the best version of the band, in my opinion. Yeah, so good. Classic era. What's Thrash Prodigy Dave Mustaine's philosophy on life and Megadeth? Well, it's to have fun, get away with as much as I can while I can. Mustaine is one of Metal's most interesting personalities. Behind the macabre lyrical poetry and the quasi-melodic thrash of his music, there's a very intelligent guy with a clear and accurate vision of what he wants to accomplish. Hit Parader asked, Megadeth is a pretty intense name for a band. How did a nice boy like you think of a moniker like that? And Dave says, Megadeth represents the annihilation of power. We spell the name phonetically because the meaning to us is the same you get out of a dictionary. It's a hypothetical body count after a nuclear fallout. It's a million deaths, and we want to leave our audience shell-shocked wherever we go. I just thought they couldn't spell. 
Hey, Junior, how do you spell Megadeth? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Did you know Dave Mustaine was a Jehovah's Witness growing up? Yeah, well, I've read his book. Yeah, I, I've got yeah, I've got his book actually here behind me. Um, but yeah, he was boy he had a weird fucked up childhood. Yeah, and they ask if making trouble is part of his nature. He says, "I've always gotten a kick out of defying authority." Just wait, we want to name our next album "The Second Coming of Christ." Oh boy, that never happened. He, <laughs> he, he should have just answered, "Ask Lars and James." <laughs> yeah. That, well, does this say what they ate? Recently, Out to Lunch had a chance to chatter with the real Dave Mustaine over hot dogs, brandy, and tortilla chips during a party in Megadeth's honor held in Sam's Bar, held at Sam's Bar in L.A. Okay. Quite a spread. Hot dogs and brandy. Yeah, that goes together like uh, peanut butter and cabbage. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. All right. The money, money hadn't quite rolled in for Megadeth in those days. <laughs> well, they were spending it all on brandy. And heroin. <laughs> all right. Next feature is, since this is a special anniversary issue, you get a history of Hit Parader, which is pretty cool. I mean, Hit Parader really, truly has been around forever. I feel like I'm giving away a whole lot of trivia for upcoming episodes of Beat the Geek, but do you know what year Hit Parader was founded? According to this, 1942. Oh, <laughs> I forgot. Is that real, though? Yeah, 1942. This, they've really been around that long? Well, yeah, because Hit Parader was like the original original. I didn't know they were, they were that old. I mean, look at the picture. It's 10 cents for a copy of it. But I don't know if this is like a fake cover or something. No, I don't think so. It says right here in the article, 1942. Little did the reader of the first hit parader in 1942 realize that some 45 years later, Blackie Lawless would be on the cover. No. <laughs> the little song. He was, around to, he was around to buy the first copy. Right? Oh, yeah. Hit parader originally started out as lyric sheets. Oh. So you know how Hit Parader's known for having the lyrics in the back? That's a holdover from the classic era. So when you'd hear songs on the radio but you didn't have albums back in 42 or you couldn't afford albums, but you knew the songs off the radio, you pay 10 cents to get the lyrics. Hmm. And that's how Hit Parader began. Little did they know that little song sheet that they were holding would eventually evolve in America's leading heavy metal magazine. Heck, if those cat, if those hep cats back in the middle of the big band era had even envisioned the likes of Motley Crue or Ozzy Osbourne, Odds are they would never have attempted to reproduce, <laughs> let alone spawn the rock and roll generation. Yes, Hit Parader has come a long way in the last 45 years. From the 12-page booklet featuring the latest hits of Glenn Miller, he was a band leader, kind of like Blackie Lawless, with a crew cut and horn rim glasses. <laughs> yeah, exactly the same. <laughs> to the 96-page Bible of hard rock that it is today. Yes, we know you're reading this and saying to yourself, who the hell cares? Well, the answer is we do, so shut up and keep reading. Let's get one thing understood straight away. Hit Parader was the world's first rock and roll magazine. Forget Rolling Stone, Circus, and Spin. They're all Johnny-come-latelys compared to the big Hit Parader. 
More than likely, if Neanderthal cavemen had been able to read, they would have been checking up on the latest heavy metal happenings in Hit Parader. <laughs> well, some of them were in the bands. Man, that's pretty cool. Hit yeah, Parader I, was I, around before Rolling Stone. I knew they were around in the 60s, but I didn't know they went back that far. Yeah. That's wild. That's pretty neat, man. And that's why I think it's even so important today that they're kind of revitalizing the name and doing what they're doing to bring it back because, I mean, Hit, Hit Parader is a part of history. It really, truly is. The very first rock music magazine. Even if it wasn't rock music back then, it's it's really the first one, the first of its kind, and it's amazing that it lasted as long as it did. And it's sad that it hasn't been around, so it's cool that it's coming back. Yeah, definitely. That's pretty interesting. All right. Up next, we've got Caught in the Act, Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden's vocalist Bruce Dickinson prowled the narrow hallways in front of his band's pre-concert dressing room like a caged tiger. The diminutive singer paced back and forth, back and forth, his gaze never leaving the floor in front of him. Slowly, the other members of Maiden filtered out of the spacious dressing area, instruments in hand. From their gloom expressions, one might have surmised that they were about to attend a public execution rather than begin another date on their massively successful Somewhere in Time tour. Mm. Golly, you gotta love 87. That's the tour, I think, that uh, many events at Invasion opened. Yeah? Pretty sure it was. We need to get ourselves in the proper frame of mind, Dickinson stated. It takes a great deal of concentration and energy to put on a show like ours. Unless we attack it with the proper attitude, we might not be able to pull it off as convincingly as we'd like. The minutes before we go on stage are a sacred time for us. That's when we have to get ourselves ready both mentally and physically. You just can't walk out there and start jumping around. You've got to warm up properly so your body doesn't give out on you. That sounds about right for Iron Maiden show back in 87. I mean, that guy was climbing the walls and running back and forth all over the place. I still have yet to see them live. Have you seen them? No, I've never seen Maiden live. Yeah, I'd like to see them once before they hang it up. I forget what happened. They were The last time they came through Nashville, I was supposed to go, but something stupid happened and fucked it up for me. Yeah, I every time I've... Thought about going, the tickets were either too much or something was going... They always come here on a fucking weeknight. Yeah. It's hard to party maiden style on a weeknight and then get up and go to work the next day. <laughs> yeah. We sound like such middle-aged dads. I know. We are, you know. We, <laughs> hey, we were alive when this magazine came out, damn it. I And I didn't latch on to Maiden until way later. I mean, I liked Wasted Years. I loved. I thought that was an amazing song. And... um I like Number of the Beast, and I like Run to the Hills, but I never fully latched on as a fan. To this day, I'm not like a super fan. I, I, I love what I like. I love, but I've just never been like a massive Maidenhead. Yeah, see, I always Maiden, and to me, it was all started with the albumers when I'm into Kiss, and I'm looking at my uncle Bruce's albums and Maidens in there. It didn't. I went from basically went from Kiss to Ozzy to Maiden. Because of the mm-hmm. album covers. Because after I knew I wanted the Ozzy, and I'd already gotten all the Kiss. Once Kiss was done, it's like, okay, what else is there? I got to get that Ozzy. And then it was okay. Now I'm not familiar with any of this other stuff. So easily, number three was Maiden, just based on the album covers. And yeah. I love it, man. I the Power Slave album was always my favorite yeah. when I was young. I still love the Deano stuff. The first two records. 
See, and then later on, I would go back to discover the early stuff. But the stuff I had was all Bruce Dickinson. But, yeah, I love it all. I remember seeing the uh, Number of the Beast video for the first time as a little kid. Because yeah. I, was, I was one of the only people in my neighborhood to have MTV. And it, would, they would, it wouldn't show it until super late at night. So I would, like, sneak downstairs and turn TV on after my parents went to sleep. And I'd watch all the, the harder videos. Yeah. And I remember seeing that video, and it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I'll never stay up late watching MTV oh, again. Oh, man. Yeah, it was, so what was that, 82, 83? So I was like six. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what else we got in here. Oh, I love the advertisements. Catalog of courses from Atlantic's College of Heavy Metal Knowledge, a course in advanced metallurgy. Meets all day and all night. Required texts, Malice's License to Kill, Raven's Life's a Bitch, and Man of War's Fighting the World. Enrollment restrictions. Students must be fed up with mediocre metal lightweights. Previous irresponsible experience with headphones would be helpful, but not required. A tolerance for fresh blood is necessary. Special notice, this is a heavy course load. Enroll now wherever records and tapes are sold on Atlantic Records and Cassettes. I'll say something that's that's more modern, but I see what they did there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Oh. In this one, got some more cool advertisements in here. Special collector's edition posters of Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes. And get your Zeppelin stuff. But now, this is the part I always look forward to because we had so much fun with it last time we did it. It's time for the Hit Parader Metal Mail. Oh, boy. All right. This first one comes from George Dasinger. He's the National Director of EA Information Services. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Good for him. Sounds official. All right. Here we go. As you are well aware, Electra Records is particularly annoyed about Hit Parader's claim that the company suffered from the fact that Motley Crue did not release their album Girls, Girls, Girls prior to Christmas. You claim to have quoted an Electra executive, and we all know that this is completely untrue and could not be further from the truth. The truth is, as any trade publication will support, Electra Records enjoyed one of the best years in its history. Just tally the sales of such artists as Metallica, Dokken, The Cars, The Cure, The Georgia Satellites, and the entire Motley Crue catalog, not to mention the current home videos by Dokken and The Cure, and you can see for yourself that a portion of your crew story is all wrong. Hit Parader and Electra have a tight bond. Your inaccurate reporting came across as a surprise and, to some extent, an insult. Obviously, as editors, you overlooked this statement or felt it had credence. In either case, Hit Parader has committed an injustice to the fans of Motley Crue, your readership, and above all, Electra Records. So above Crue, above the fans, Electra Records. <laughs> The crew are aware of this letter and the inaccurate statement in your February issue. I'm sure they care a lot. (laughs) Yeah, they don't give a fuck. (laughs) They're mad. They're real mad about it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. In between, between, you know, loading up the syringe. Uh Uh-huh. 
to say they didn't crumple this up and throw this over them shoulder their shoulders would be no to say that they are displeased is to put it mildly and we all expect a correction as soon as possible in closing it might make sense from now on to check claims by unknown executives with Electra's home office to avoid things like this happening again and with all due respect to simply red anita baker Howard Jones, and Metal Church, it seems they had a bit to do with our successful year as well. Normally, we at Electra don't bother to write letters like this, but we are so proud of our achievements in 1986, we just couldn't let it go down. So that's from, yeah, George Dassinger, big shot at Electra, I guess, is what that is. What it is is it's a letter listing all of the releases that they're promoting on Electra. <laughs> <laughs> That is pretty funny, though. Down below, you got a nice picture of Nikki Six and Tommy Lee. Classic Tommy Lee pose with the cigarette coming out of his nostril. Well, I and they uh, they missed out on a great tour there because they lumped together Simply Red, Anita Baker, Howard Jones, and Metal Church. I would have loved to have seen that tour. I mean, Metal Church is the headliner, though, right? <laughs> no, Anita Baker. What? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> No, but like this is a, like a this is a well crafted complaint letter designed to promote everything that came out over the last year. So if this is <laughs> if this is legit, if if Electra was really upset about that, they said that. I mean, it's it's one of two things. It's either Metal Edge put this in as a little extra, you know, advertisement for Electra, or the guy that wrote this letter is a freaking genius. Well, might be a little bit of both, but you know. To just tally the sales of Metallica, Dokken, The Cars, The Cures, Georgia Satellites, and the right, entire yeah. Motley. And then he also promoted home videos by Dokken and the crew. Right, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then at the end, promotes even more artists. So it's like, it's it's more of an advertisement than anything. Pretty slick. And then Hit Parader prints it, and there you go. Now you got all these uh, all this information about new albums coming out on Elektra. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, they're, you know, it, it's probably all bullshit, and they... they they had buddies at Electra going, "Hey, can we make it look like we're bitching about something to promote all of our all of our acts?" Right. Hey, listen, you know we we forgot to put in the uh, little article about Motley Crue last month, but we're going to make it up to you. We're going to write up this letter, and it's going to be great, and it's going to have the names of all your stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, I need to go on Facebook and see if George Dassinger is a real person. All right. Well, here's another interesting one here. That's uh, it's not a fan letter to Hit Parader. It goes like this. Bethinks you dildos are the most pathetic excuse for a rock mag. <laughs> nice. That's a good way to start it. All you do is encourage docility, narrow-mindedness, and shallowness among the misguided souls who believe all the bloody rot you publish month after month. Especially nauseating is your incessant sexism. The first annual Miss Heavy Metal Contest and your Jive Turkey Readers Poll Man of the Year. It says, how charming. Why don't you just put a category of simpering woman hater of the year so I can vote for Andy Setcher in it? Is that Man of the Year award supposed to mean that only men can do things that are important? Check out the bangles. It might sink into your concrete skull that they can play circles around those preening no-talent yuppies in Muttley Spew. Muttley Spew. <laughs> I know you don't entirely ignore women. You put in the occasional lead a fraud article, 
only as a lame excuse to run a few dumb TNA picks of that grossly overrated token female. Why don't you write about music for a change instead of S&M fashion shows and fops on parade? I've tried not to use too many multi-syllable words because I know you have trouble with that sort of thing. And you wouldn't want to strain your brain now, would you? Get a big person to help you. And that's from a dude. It's from Steve Stucka in Dover Beach, California. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna venture a theory on this one. Uh-huh. This was written by a time traveler from 2020. Yeah, it sure sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, if they'd have known that, they'd be really upset because they know a little bit further up into the magazine, there's some sexy Lita Ford pictures. <laughs> That's how you sell magazines. Yeah, I guess, especially in 87. I mean, well, no, because that shit don't ever change. Well, you don't see much of it now. I mean, it's now it's a very offensive thing to do that, but I don't know. I just... Even with the benefit of hindsight, I don't find it that offensive. But I'm a white guy, so what do I know? Yeah. Well, here's something you can wrap your mind around then. This one's from Jawbreaker in Olympia, in Olympia Washington. To my leather-loving bondage buddy, Rob Helford, I want to wrap my legs around your Harley and wiggle. Let's, <laughs> let's get together real soon and trade tricks with a wet bull whip. Oh, boy. See, and that's wild because that's even way many years before Rob Halford even came out, and they were printing stuff like that. Well, I think most people kind of knew. Yeah. Who's to say Jawbreaker's not a girl? Oh, that's true. That is true. I mean, let's get real, though. I just assume, like, because the rest of these, these are all dudes writing into the hit parade. <laughs> they probably didn't have a giant. They had about the same female readership as we do a female listenership. I'm betting so. And it's funny to think about that. Like, way back when Hit Parader first started, it probably was mostly women buying it to learn the lyrics to their favorite pop songs. Oh, <laughs> how things how, how things have devolved to 1987. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny reading these letters, though. Uh-huh. Why do you think Ingve Melmstein and Eddie Van Halen are the best so-called guitar players? Try <laughs> buying one of CJSS... Or Chastain's albums. David Chastain is the best. I should know. I take lessons from him. Have you heard of David Chastain? I've heard of him. I don't. I'm not familiar with none of the music. I think he was like a Christian artist, but I I've heard that he was an amazing player. But I, I'll be honest, I've never listened to any of his stuff. No, me neither. But I've heard people talk good about him. I'm gonna. It's so familiar to me. I know somebody somewhere. I've had to have heard it once. Like yeah. somebody had a cassette probably in eighty seven. Yeah, I don't I have friends that listen to him, but I have never given it a shot. I'd be interested in knowing if any of our listeners are Chastain fans and what do they think. I mean this guy's putting them up against Ingve Malmstein and Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, it must have been good. Here's a fun one. Comes from M V L L D from the Place to Be, USA. What's up with all these girls? All they care about is what rockers have between their legs. <laughs> they don't care about what they sound like, just what they look like. Pretty boy groups like Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, and Cinderella and Rat, to name a few. Wake up and smell the coffee. Iron Maiden, Metallica, Motorhead, Dio, Judas Priest, Ozzy, Exciter, and Raven are some of the real rockers. They don't need good looks. Their music says it all. They just call them ugly? I think so. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they're ugly, but they rock, damn it. Well, during the MTV era, you had to be more than uh, proficient, as we know. Yeah. John Sykes will tell you that. Yep. Iron Maiden never gets credit for their Axemen. Dave Murray and Adrian Smith may not be the most popular guitarists, but they are a hell of a lot better than most guitarists. Steve Harris is the best bassist in the rock world, but he gets shit for credit. All right. Angry Maiden fan. Yeah. I'm sick of everyone saying that Ronnie James Dio has no right to put down people like Ozzy and Twisted Sister. Dio has the right to put down anyone. He's earned his stardom. He's the best. Shine on, Dio. And finally, in the Hit Parader mailbox, maybe this one's from a lady. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe it's from Jawbreaker. I have one little question about Kiss's Eric Carr. Does he get good mileage? I'd really like to know, because I want to drive him. Wow. Waiting for a joyride in Ellicott City, Maryland. He may look like a little boy, but he's built like a man. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Out of the mailbag, back into the featured articles. Here's a good one about Metallica. Power metal masters put tragedy behind them and forge ahead. Metallica are back doing what they do best, playing rock and roll with more power than any band around. The problems that have beset the group in recent months, most notably the tragic death of bassist Cliff Burton last September, are now in the past, though certainly not forgotten. But for the group's surviving members, drummer Lars Ulrich, vocalist-guitarist James Hetfield, and guitarist Kirk Hammett, as well as the band's latest member, Jason New Kid Newstead, is full speed ahead. The members of Metallica realize that the only way to get past the tragedy of Burton's accident is to plow ahead with abandon, just as Cliff would have wanted them to. Recently, we spoke to the band about their renewed commitment to their work and their ability to put aside their recent tragedy. Yeah, this is around that time, man, when the the big changes were happening in Metallica. Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing later on after the fact that they... uh they they uh, hazed Newstead quite a bit during that time. Yeah, when they were asked about uh, getting back on the road after all the difficulties they went through, Kirk Hammett says it's great getting back on the road. It feels so good to get back into action. When we first got out there with Jason, it felt wonderful just because we were on stage. Everything else takes a back seat. We're doing what we do best, and we're not thinking about anything else. So even though the mechanics of getting back on the road, going through all the auditions was a bit of a pain, actually playing is great. Lars adds, We knew we'd get back in action sooner or later, and everyone around us agreed that the faster we could do it, the better off we'd be. It only took us six weeks to really get going again, and that was great because instead of taking out all our anger and frustration about the accident on our furniture at home, we could do it on stage. Playing in front of people is a hell of a lot better than sitting around at home and feeling sorry for ourselves. Yeah, that, you know, this would all kind of come to a head during that some kind of monster documentary when you know they started doing therapy around that time, and I think they even admitted that they threw themselves back into touring basically to just keep their mind off of it and not really process what they went through. 
Yeah, they go on to talk about how Lars got hurt in the accident, too. He says, I'm fine. I broke my toe, which is a problem for a drummer because you're always pounding on pedals with your feet. But that only bothered me for about two weeks. It was ironic that the day we had planned to begin auditions was the same day my doctor called and told me it would be all right for me to start playing again. And then they ask, when you're holding auditions, did you find that most people were trying to copy Cliff Burton's bass parts? And Kirk says, Cliff had such a unique style that we knew we wouldn't find anyone like him. We weren't really looking for someone who played like him. We just wanted somebody who shared our attitude. We wanted a guy who could play and who could keep up with us when we went drinking. Jason fit the bill on all counts. God, imagine how much alcohol he had to consume to keep up with those guys. Good Lord, yeah. What a situation to be brought into. You know, it's unbelievable to even try to imagine what Jason is going through as he joins one of the biggest up-and-coming bands, replacing a beloved member who was just killed. You're talking six weeks earlier. That's not yeah. that long. Yeah, they threw themselves back into it, and, and like I said, they made they made his life hell for the first year or two, from what I've heard in interviews, and you know, mostly because they they were taking their grief out on him, which is kind of unfair to him. But uh, that guy hung in there and definitely rolled with the punches. Yeah, here's an interesting question. From a mental point of view, has it been strange going back on the road considering the accident happened while you were asleep on your tour bus? Do you ever worry about traveling? I don't know if I ever thought, really thought about that before. You know, after being in an accident like that, getting back in a bus and trying to sleep, I mean, that's got to be kind of tough. Yeah. Uh, Lars says, we were planning on taking our American bus driver with us when we go back to Europe. He can't drive there because they have different licenses. But just knowing Steve's watching over things will make us feel a lot better. I guess we thought of traveling and what happened, and that's hard not to do. The accident was really horrible and unforgettable experience. It's something that will probably stay with all of us for the rest of our lives. I'm sure it has. Yeah. That's wild, though, looking back on that time when all that was changing. And in here, when we're looking at it, it's brand new. Yeah. Let's see, you got a good DiMarzio advertisement here. You can't go wrong with this one. Billy Sheehan and Steve Vai. These guys can play anything, and they play DiMarzio. Yeah. Like, ads like this, and I used to get all the guitar magazines at the time. Like I, They worked because it would make me want to buy just about everything that were that my favorite players were using. Yeah, and these magazines were loaded full of them. Yep. All right, up next we got an article about Judas Priest entitled Trouble in Paradise. Got a big old picture of Rob Helford wearing, like, the coolest jacket ever. The Turbo era. Man, that's a badass. They're universally recognized as the ultimate heavy metal band. Their concerts routinely sell out from Peoria to Paris, and their LPs hit the top of the charts with deadly accuracy. Yet, for all their success, all is not as it should be in the world of Judas Priest. In fact, one could even say that vocalist Rob Helford, guitarists K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton, bassist Ian Hill and drummer Dave Holland recently find themselves at a critical juncture in their decade-long career. Will their new live LP regain a bit of lost momentum for these British bashers? Has a new generation of leather-clad rockers come along to usurp the band's stranglehold on the metal world? Have a series of legal problems, mostly surrounding a teenage suicide, begun to wear heavy on the band's soul? And perhaps most harshly, has Judas Priest lost his step with the times? 
Hmm. Yep, that's oh, well. definitely a turbo era talk right there. I I didn't get into Priest until maybe a year or two after this, because I I think they would play the Hellion and Electric Eye on the radio together, and then um, you got another thing coming, got pretty heavy rotation on Headbangers Ball even way later after it came out. And uh, so I missed the whole Turbo era at that point. Yeah, Helford talking about Turbo a little bit on here, says perhaps we viewed guitar synth a little too much as a novelty. There's no question that we fell in love with some technological wonders last time. We recorded the album digitally, and we felt that we achieved the best song ever heard on a Priest LP. In the past, we've often encountered recording studios that weren't capable of capturing anything we wished to put down. But that certainly wasn't the case with Turbo. Yeah, huge advances in recording and, and instrumentation and everything around this era. So you, but I mean, you were already a fan of theirs before Turbo came out, right? Mm-mm. No, nope. Turbo was really my first introduction to Priest, which is kind of sad. Oh, I thought I'm you. Glad been I a took fan the time to check out the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> was your uncle Bruce like? I don't like this new Judas Priest. No, it was. I know. I remember what it was. There was a kid that I knew that I thought was strange and weird, and he was a major Judas Priest fan. And because I thought the kid was weird and not cool, it automatically kind of wrecked Priest for me because he was such an over-the-top Priest fan, but he was just such a dummy and a dick that it made me not want to like Priest. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, asshole. (laughs) But then when I got into junior high, we got into like the tape trading thing where you know somebody would buy this cassette and somebody would have that cassette and be like, oh, let's trade for a week or let me borrow it and I'll make a copy of it on a Maxell or whatever if I like it. And I traded with a buddy, and he had Priest Turbo, and I got it, and I liked it. You know, back then, I really liked it when it was new, and I was like, as I got older, I got into more Priest, and then got into the older stuff, and that's that's the shit that I really loved. I love the early Priest stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I like this, the, even the 70s era is, is very interesting. Yeah. That's cool. But yeah, just talking about Judas Priest will always set trends and not follow them. Oh, this oh, is always my favorite part, too. Check out these earrings. Yeah, the some jewelry. of these probably wouldn't, some of these wouldn't probably be too uh, well-received these days. Well, I mean, none of them look too bad except, oh, geez, there's a swastika. Yeah, like right in the middle. Oh, yeah, there's some SS things. Yeah, that's weird that they're just selling swastika earrings in the hit parader. But there's a bunch of cool stuff in here, the classics. You know, you got the... Uh, the crosses and the lightning bolt swords and the assault rifle earrings and looks like an overkill earring and you got to have the classic oh shit yeah i love that <laughs> buy three get one free i ordered a uh it was a skull ring from one of these companies and i think it it broke within like a week or two it was so cheaply made yeah i would i'd always wait until the uh the fair came to town and they'd always have booths that would have tons of this stuff in it. Yeah, and they always had the Grim Reaper. That was always one. Yeah. There's a pretty cool knockoff Motorhead logo in there, too. You could have his earring. Yep. Classic <laughs> stuff. Man, I can't wait till that comes back in fashion. Yeah. yeah except <laughs> for maybe the swastika earrings. <laughs> That's part of the Ace Frehley collection. Sorry. Yoch. <laughs> or the Lemmy collection. <laughs> 
All right, here's always another fun section of the old hit paraders that I always like, and it's the heavy metal happenings. These are the this is the latest news. Heavy metal happenings must always be like the very final thing that they write up before they send the magazine out, because this is the up to date, you know, a couple of weeks ago news hitting the stands right now. Cinderella's Tom Kiefer reports that the band is not even considering coming off the road after spending the last eight months trekking around the country with the likes of David Lee Roth and Bon Jovi. I think we've forgotten what it's like to wake up in the same place for two days in a row, he said. After you get used to the rhythm of the road, all the travel and the excitement, the thought of going home and getting back to a normal life is really strange. I can imagine. And that's Cinderella just on the up. You know, they're just getting there now. You know, this is 87. They're not totally huge yet. They're they're one of the up-and-coming bands of the scene, and so they got to be on the road constantly. Yeah. I think if, if Cinderella had hit maybe a year or two earlier, they would have been up on that Bon Jovi level. Yeah, they had the songs for sure. Yeah. The members of Rat refuse to acknowledge any disappointment over the showing of their recent LP, Dancing Undercover. Though the album was slow to attain platinum certification, unlike the band's two earlier LPs, guitarist Robin Crosby says it's still a big success. Hey, it's a good record, and a lot of people are enjoying it. That's all that matters, Robin said. We don't expect every record we do to sell two million copies. Well, that's crazy. You know, to think about the difference between 1987 and now, where, you know, oh, no, you only sold a million and a half albums. Right. What a huge disappointment this is. Although it was it was downhill from there. Right. But, I mean, still at this time, the numbers they were doing would please any artist out there today. Oh, yeah. And they look at it like it's a disappointment. Yeah. Well, I remember Kiss used to get questioned on this a lot. You know, like the albums would go gold or, or single platinum. And they'd be like, well, we're not upset about that. <laughs> like, right, we're yeah. doing fine. Nothing to get mad about there. Yeah. The strange series of events that have surrounded Def Leppard in recent years continues. The latest addition is the car accident suffered by band's producer Mutt Lang late last year. It seems that Lang lost control of his car and crashed into a variety of obstacles along the way, resulting in the knob twister sustaining a broken kneecap. Needless to say, the accident delayed the completion of the Lep's new album, Hysteria, yet again, pushing the release back to June. I don't believe in curses, but with Def Leppard, you do have to wonder. And I do remember that from that time where people were looking forward to Hysteria because this is really right when I'm right into the music. Now, I'm I'm in. I'm buying Hit Parader magazines and stuff like that and looking for Metal Edge and all the anything I can get my hands on to learn more about these bands that I'm just discovering. And I remember Hysteria being a big deal for a long time before it came out and not really knowing that it was because it kept getting pushed back and pushed back. And this is where Ian Wildly steps in and goes, God was even trying to tell you guys, take it up, take a break. <laughs> it's don't over need to keep for going. Def Leppard. You'll never be as cool as you once were. Uh, and I love that using, call, instead of just calling him producer, they call him the knob twister. Knob oh twister, yeah, that's great. <laughs> really trying to find you. adjectives. Nasty reports emunating out of L.A. have described some very bizarre behavior on the part of Motley Crue's Nikki Six. 
When heavy metal happenings confronted Motley's bass speeder, bass speeder about the charges, he only laughed and called them a total crock of shit. We certainly hope so because some of the activities described are not only dangerous but life threatening. And then he died like six months later and came back. Right. So uh, you heard you've been doing drugs. Oh, that's a total crock of shit. Now, excuse me while I go do some drugs. Yeah, I got to meet this guy around the corner. I'll talk to you later. Unlike many European bands who sell their souls to America as soon as they get their first taste of stateside success, Iron Maiden remained loyal to their home continent fans. We tour in Europe before America for a variety of reasons, vocalist Bruce Dickinson explained. One reason is that we are very loyal to the people who first supported us. The second reason is that if we toured the U.S. first, we wouldn't get to Europe until the album had been out for six months. So you got to like that, Iron Maiden, keeping it real for the home folks. Yep. Uh-oh. This is a scary turn right here, too. Kiss's Paul Stanley says that he's written some songs for the band's upcoming LP on <gasps> keyboards. <laughs> the first time he's ever moved away from his trusty guitar. They're pretty raunchy keyboards, though, he admitted with a laugh. That's a badass Casio you got there. Yeah, raunchy. It's raunchy. <laughs> Such an 80s word. The reason I did it was because for the first time in about eight years, we actually had more than three weeks to write some new material. I figured I'd try out some new things, and keyboards were part of them. I'm not a very good player, and they won't appear on the album. <laughs> But some of the songs are pretty good. The reason I did it is Bon Jovi's doing it and selling a lot of records. You're lying, Paul Stanley. You just don't <laughs> want Gene Simmons to find out at the last minute. Keyboards are going on the albums. Yeah, and I love Crazy Nights, but come on. That was totally a trend-hopping record. Hmm. Paul Stanley writing songs on the Casio. <laughs> the raunchy Casio. Speaking of Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi was quite amused by recent stories in the European press that he was about to get married. Can you believe that shit he yelped? Hey, I love it when people tell me news about me. I know nothing about it, that's for sure. I'm on tour for the next year, so I couldn't plan something like a wedding even if I wanted to. But I don't want to. By the way, the girl John was supposed to be marrying was his high school sweetheart. How nice. You know, eventually they did get married. Mm-hmm. We're still together today. Yep. Have you heard the new Bon Jovi record? No. Don't bother. Yeah, yeah, I figured so. It sucks. Well, I was never a huge Bon Jovi fan to begin with, but they always, like, the early stuff, they had their couple of songs that I could get down with. But, I mean, those, that's, yeah, few and far between and many, many years ago. Them and, well, like, Def Leppard at least still put out stuff that kind of is reminiscent of, well, at least from Hysteria on, but... Bon Jovi just runs away from their past as much as they can. Eventually, it'll be Americana Bon Jovi. Well, it already is. Yeah. It's just, it, he's trying to be Bruce Springsteen now. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the vibe I got off it, being that they're such big Jersey guys together. You know, that's your automatic idol, ain't it? Well, yeah. Well, like, with, I mean, I'm not even a Springsteen fan, but at least he sounds genuine doing it. Bon Jovi sounds like he's pandering to the Bruce Springsteen crowd. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I was never a big Bon Jovi guy. Well, we're not going to get into a drunken argument over Bon Jovi. 
No way, man. Bon Jovi's way worse than Def Leppard. Kinda, sorta. Oh, yeah, I can't. I, I don't know if I can make an argument for him now after the last few records. That's the hardest argument I've ever been involved in. I don't remember what we said. So. Trying to figure out who was worse, Bon Jovi or Def Leppard. <laughs> if you want to hear that argument, sign up on Patreon. And go way, way back to the, one of way the very back. first Chris and Aaron shows. Yeah, we recorded that in the Adobe Hut. Yeah. The Scorpions, never a band to brag on their accomplishments, are quietly indicating that they think their latest LP is something very special. We've improved on each album we've done, guitarist Rudolf Schenker said, and we were determined to make it as good a record as we had on Love at First Sting. When people hear this one, I think they're going to realize we've made an even better one. What was, it? was it Crazy World that came out? Was that the one they were talking about? I think it was. That sounds about right around yeah. that time. That Tease Me, Please Me on it. That song, man, that song's got a great riff. Oh, yeah. It's a total hair metal anthem. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I always like that song. Slayer drummer Dave Lombardo left the band a few months back due to what the band calls a bunch of problems. There's no denying that a number of personal problems have erupted within the group. It now appears that Lombardo's reason for leaving was his desire to spend more time with his wife and family. No replacement for Dave has yet been announced. I heard that he just started going to church and Kerry King was like, fuck you, get out. (laughs) (laughs) Keep your eyes open for some monster heavy metal festivals to be popping up around the country in the next few months. We can't reveal the details yet, but suffice it to say that the names involved are some of the biggest around. Each show will feature a half a dozen bands, at least four of them big enough to headline any arena on their own. These festivals should be quite an event whenever and wherever they take place. Those monsters are rock, has to be. Yep. That'd be the beginning of that. Oh, yeah, we mentioned this a little earlier, too. Ready for a round of rock and roll musical chairs? Well, here goes. It seems that Kevin Dubrow has now been officially fired from Quiet Riot. Reasons for the unexpected move range from strange behavior to the fact that Kevin just wasn't getting along with the rest of the band. The remainder of Quiet Riot are staying together and have apparently hired Jafria's vocalist, David Glenn Isley, into oh. the band. With his vocalist gone, Greg Jafria is now considering an offer to join the reformed Angel, his original band. Confusing, huh. ain't it? Yeah, that didn't happen. He wound up doing House of Lords after that, right? Yep, and David Glenn Isley, I don't think, ever did anything with Quiet Riot either. No, it was Paul Shortino from Rough Cut. So that never worked out. It's wild to read these stories and see what was supposed to happen never ended up happening. Yeah, there was a lot of musical chairs during those days, pun intended. And here we go, wrapping it up. This is the letter of the month. Dear Andy, I used to be a real heavy metal fan. My walls were covered with pictures of Led Zeppelin, Kiss, and Deep Purple. I'm 19 years old, and maybe metal has passed me by but I can't seem to get off on any of the music anymore. Sure, I still buy the new Kiss and Purple albums, and I like some of the stuff that Iron Maiden and Judas Priest have done recently, but so much of what's happening in metal today seems like nothing more than sick theatricity to me. Theatricality? Theatricality? (laughs) You're on your own on this one. (laughs) 
Seems like nothing more than sick theatricality. <laughs> theatricality. That's what it is. Okay. Theatricality. What's the story with black metal? Those guys can't be as weird as they seem. And what about all this wimp rock like Bon Jovi posing as metal? Where have all the great metal bands gone? And that's from Mike R. in Miami. And Andy answers, he says, The fact is that the great metal bands haven't gone anywhere. Not only are legendary units like Purple, Kiss, and Priest still cranking out quality product, but younger bands like Queensryche, Metallica, and Dokken have come along to carry the metal gauntlet to new heights. You don't like black metal? Don't listen to it. You think Bon Jovi's a wimp? Don't buy his album. Just remember that 4 million people have already bought it. Maybe you have let metal pass you by. It sounds like you're just a little bit jaded to me. <laughs> yeah, everybody's got their different flavors, but it's interesting to look back at a time when, you know, somebody's saying, what's the story with black metal? Like, it's something new. Like, this is mayhem time. You know, people are just kind of hearing about it. Yeah, but there was not going to be a mainstream success for black metal. No, mm-mm. probably not. I love this next page, man. It's a full-page advertisement for the suicidal tendencies. The second invasion has begun. Join the army on LP, cassette, and CD. Mm. What awesome artwork is that? This inspired me. I was like, I used to have this when I was younger, but I don't have it now. And when I was going through this magazine, looking at the pictures, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go on eBay and see if I can find it. And I ended up ordering two old school suicidal tendencies CDs. Oh, that's cool. I love the artwork on that one. I might get that full back tattoo. You're going to get that as a back tattoo? Yeah, that'd be awesome, huh? Wow. Suicidal tendencies. I wonder what your wife's going to say about that. Oh, she's going to love it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Then we got an article about Motley Crue behind the scenes. Uh, Let's see. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is the time when... Everybody in Motley Crue is doing drugs, but they're all saying they're not doing drugs. Or Vince Neil is especially not supposed to be doing drugs. Motley Crue behind the scenes. West Coast Wild Men put the pedal to the metal with Girls, Girls, Girls. I decided to do it because I was impressed with the list of other guys who'd done it, Vince Neil said softly across the lunch table in Malibu. Dressed in his sleeveless black leather top and matching pants, Motley's so-called bad boy frontman was attempting to explain exactly why he agreed to be one of the several heavy metal stars featured in a 30-second public service announcement for Rock Against Drugs, an ongoing effort to combat drug abuse. I think it was more of a condition of his probation. Yeah, I think so too. He says, I knew Johnny Bon Jovi was doing it. And I heard about Gene Simmons, Andy Taylor, Dio, Quiet Riot, guys like that. Nursing some recent dental work, Vince sipped iced tea and carefully spooned down some clam chowder. At the intimation that this recent volunteer effort was part of the required 200 hours of community service that went with his 2.6 million and 30 day jail sentence for his December 1985 car accident, he staunchly claimed, Oh no, I'm all finished with that. I already put in over 200 hours, paid all the money, and served my 30 days. I'm a free man. He said looking healthier and stronger than anyone had seen him since the tragic night two years ago. Hmm. 
While the rest of the crew were holed up in Hollywood rehearsing songs off Girls, Girls, Girls for their upcoming tour, Vince listened carefully to last-minute instructions from video maker George Gage and RAD creator Danny Goldberg. The gist of the shoot was to feature Vince sitting on his brand-new Harley motorcycle, warning rock fans that life was truly a safer, happier place without drugs, and he ought to know. So that must have been they were talking to him as he was filming that commercial. Although it may have been around that time because they were getting ready to do Dr. Feelgood. So he might have been cleaned by that pump, that point because I know they cleaned up for Dr. Feelgood. Yeah, this would have been shortly after the release of Girls, Girls, Girls. So, I mean, I don't think he was done with probation and stuff by that point, though. Probably not. I wouldn't think. All right, here you go. Seize 12 heavy hitters for a penny. Heavy up <laughs> on the heavy metal with Columbia House Records and Tapes Club. I used to love these in the magazines to look at them and I'd go through and I'd cross off the ones that I wouldn't want. Right. And then circle the ones that you really wanted. But this is cool because it's featuring Striper to hell with the devil, ACDC, who made who Ozzy ultimate sin. So yeah, you were right. Ultimate sin is definitely out by this point. Yeah. Also got Metallica master puppets, rat dancing undercover and Europe's final countdown. But Yep. There's all kinds of cool albums in here. I could easily pick out 12. I had that final countdown cassette. I used to listen to the shit out of that thing. That all album right. has not aged well. Which one? The Europe, the final countdown. Oh, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> that was such a huge song, though, and it's still huge in like commercials and stuff. If you want to watch one of the most cringe-inducing videos, watch the video for Rock the Night by Europe. Oh, my God. They're like acting super excited and it, at like it looks like they're at an Applebee's or something, partying it up. It's so stupid. Well, it was probably the first Applebee's they'd ever been to. That's that's true. Maybe they really were that excited. <laughs> I don't know. You know, like, oh, we can get quesadillas here. Rock. Here's another favorite feature of mine in the Hit Parader magazines from back in the day, and it's fun to see if these bands made it or not. But pick hit. So where they always like showcase some up and coming artists, some fresh blood from 1987, and one of the bands on here is a band we all know and love from Canada, Brighton Rock. Yeah, that's cool. They are Canada's latest metal mavens. <laughs> Visually, the members of Brighton Rock fulfill every preconceived notion one might have about a Canadian hard rock band. They all sport bouffant hairdos and wear pants tight enough to cut off their circulation. But while this Nova Scotia quintet's appearance may be somewhat cliche-riddled, their debut LP, Young, Wild, and Free, shows that musically they have something quite original to say. Yeah, they didn't really get the success they probably deserved back in those days. No, but at least here in 2020, even though they're not around anymore, basically because of 2020. Yeah. At least we've heard of them. The other band is called Diamond Rex. I remember this band's name, but I don't think I ever heard any of their music. Bizarre Bashers from Chicago. Heavy metal has always been a place where society's misfits, outcasts, and headcases seem to find a home. That's never been more true than with Diamond Rex. And that's with two X's. Of course. A Chicago-based glam metal outfit who have taken the shock rock school to the outer limits, rallying around the blood-curdling vocals of Nasty Habits, with S. St. Lust on guitar, Johnny Cotone on drums, and a dude simply named Andre on bass. 
Diamond Rex are one band who certainly play the rock and roll game by their own rules. I don't know shit about Diamond Rex. Looks like they know a lot about Maybelline and Aquanet. As was par for the course in 87, man. They would be they wouldn't be in this magazine if they didn't look like that, I bet. Yeah, this is this is the ultimate and cliche stereotype look. Yeah. Whew. Well, on to the next page, we get another one of these awesome full-page advertisements, and this one's for one of my all-time favorites. Lizzie Borden returns after the success of Menace to Society with a special new mini-album, Terrorizing. They didn't call them EPs back then? They just called them mini-albums? I guess they didn't think EP sounded cool enough. I guess not. That's what it is, though. It's it's an EP. Yeah, it's totally an EP. Mini-album. Featuring guest appearances by Joey Vera of Armored Saint and Betsy of Bitch on Metal Blade Records right now, 1987. Get your brand new Lizzie Borden. It's a cool picture of him. Super cool picture. It's the album cover. All right, here's something I know you got to be familiar with because you're such a guitar nerd, and it's in every magazine from this era, and this guy is, you can find his picture in every magazine that's rock-related that's coming out in 87. And I'm talking about good old Doug Marks from the Metal Method Guitar Lessons. Yep. What do you know about Doug Marks? Is this guy still around? He is. He's actually still giving away. He's still doing lessons. He uh, He's still doing the Metal Method thing. I actually saw something on Facebook not long ago where he's still doing it. That's cool as hell, man. I'm glad to hear that because, yeah, this guy was a part of my childhood because, like I said, he was in every single rock magazine I ever bought. This guy was in it with the Metal Method. As a matter of fact, on this one, it's even more special because it's got an advertisement for his band, Hawk. Yeah, and it's another band that didn't quite make it, but uh, they had uh, Scott Travis, I believe, was on drums. I'll have to check that out. I mean, clearly this guy's a killer guitar player. One of the, I mean, if you think about guitar players in the 80s, you got to think about this guy because every time you opened up one of these magazines, he was in it. Yeah. And, and people, I think Lonnie, Lonnie Vincent from Bullet Boys was also in this band. Yeah? I'm pretty sure. I'll have to check into that. Hawk. Yeah, the, the singer from Hawk is a guy named Charlie Wayne Morrill, and he lives here in Tennessee. But he's uh, he's an interesting guy, I'll just say that. Hmm. Okay. Like too interesting to have on the show? <laughs> Probably. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll tell you off mic about him. All right. We ain't looking for no trouble. Yeah. So let's move on to the feature story. Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes. Release of tribute signals career changes for Metal Madman. Ozzy Osbourne and Strange Activities have always gone hand in hand, but in light of the recent twists of fate surrounding the Oz, Metal's master of the macabre seems to have reached new heights of weirdness. Consider the facts. One, he was supposed to re-enter the Betty Ford Rehabilitation Clinic last December, then suddenly disappeared for three weeks before emerging in Los Angeles. Two, he has once again shaved off all his hair, something he promised never to do again. Unless I totally lose my mind. Three, he released five-year-old live recordings featuring the late, great Randy Rhodes on guitar after previously stating he would wait for the right time to release these tapes, possibly after I retire. And four, he headed off to Tibet and China to reflect on his career away from the public spotlight. 
Has Ozzy Osbourne finally gone over the edge? Has 15 years of outrageous behavior finally forced Rock's lovable loon to cast aside glamour and glitz of fame for a more sedate lifestyle? At the moment, the answers still aren't available. No one, including Ozzy's wife and manager Sharon, seems sure of what his next moves might be. Crazy times in the life of Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, for sure. I remember the when the tribute album came out. I remember the the like kind of repurposed video for Crazy Train getting a lot of airplay. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I remember thinking, what's with Ozzy's hair? <laughs> See, and that's weird too because I never realized that he had done that twice. Because back in like '81, he had done it. Yeah. And because I remember my Uncle Andre had all the old hit paraders. He had a whole bunch of old ones from the 70s. I loved looking at those. And it had the pictures of Ozzy in there with his head shaved. And, I mean, it's crazy to think. He said, I'll never do that again unless I'm losing my mind. And here he is in 87 with a shaved head. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and actually my, you know, I don't think I'd ever heard Crazy Train before I saw the video for it back then in 87, 88. And I remember being just so blown away by the guitar solo that I and then I went out and bought a thing. And then I went out and started buying the records. And I used to listen to the Crazy Train solo just over and over again. Yeah. See, and I had those original albums from my Uncle Bruce. So I was in on it from the very beginning as far as I knew. But I had gotten, let's see, uh, well, geez, Ultimate Sin was out at that point. So, yeah, this is right in that timeline for me is when I'm buying these albums from my Uncle Bruce. So I'm just discovering all this stuff. Yeah. It was a great time. Got a big old picture of Ozzy here. Look at him. He's He may be crazy, but he's eating good. Look at that chin. Look at the other one. <laughs> yeah, it's not the best look for him. No, back then he had the poofy hair, and he's kind of chunky. and yep. Sharon was still chunky, too. <laughs> Yeah, I got a good picture of them together in there also. Then I got the big old posters in the middle. I'm not tearing these out and taking pictures of them. I'm going to leave them in there. Yeah. Maybe someday I'll get some frames and hang them up somewhere. I like the shot of uh, Jeff Labar and Eric Birdingham. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's the next article. Cinderella, the clock strikes 12. Fantasy year continues as Philly rockers keep on the platinum trail. Tom Keeper says it's nice to make some money. But we remember when we really had to struggle. My brother had a Night Songs t-shirt, and I basically claimed it from him. (laughs) Nice. My grandparents got me this album for Christmas one year. I'm pretty sure somebody must have had to help them figure out which one to get me. (laughs) It would be funny if they came out with like the Cinderella animated soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) You said you wanted Cinderella. Well, I've told stories about my grandparents before and how they would do stuff like that. Like, they brought me the new kids on the block shirt, and my grandma thought, like, some soap that was called Poison had something to do with the rock band. And they got me, like, a birthday cake one time that had collegiate wrestlers on it. (laughs) (laughs) But I love my grandparents so much. But this time they got some good advice, and they got me night songs for Christmas. And like I said, it's got to be right about this time that is when I'm starting to get into all this music. Yeah, same here. I was, I got, a, I became pretty much obsessed right around the time this magazine came out. Yeah, me too. That's why it's cool to look at this like like we are mm-hmm. today. Uh, here's another one, Docking, Nothing But The Truth. L.A. Rockers gear up as work on their new LP nears completion. 
Got some cool pictures of the, uh, Jeff Pilson and George Lynch rocking. We want to get in charge of our career. Oh, Don Dockin at this point is the band's only remaining L.A. resident. Huh. Where everybody else went. We all realize that when someone is 15 or 16, like a lot of our fans are, they want high energy and excitement. I'm certainly not 15, and I still want it too. But sometimes the kids go too far. Some of them come to the show just to make trouble. We had a gig in Tacoma last time, and somebody actually got killed during the concert. Isn't that unbelievable? How could anyone be so totally irresponsible? But people have to realize that it was one asshole kid who was fucking up, not the whole crowd. And it certainly wasn't the band's fault. We really go out of our way to have a positive image, he added. We're certainly not goody-goodies, but we're not into any of the negative bullshit either. I'm glad we never got associated with any of that devil-worshipping stuff, even by the conservative action groups. We all believe that kids need a positive influence these days. I can't stand it when I hear those black metal bands singing death to your mother as she screws your brother while she's putting snot all over his ice cream. Is that what black metal bands sing about? According that's to Don I... Dockin, that's what it's all wow. about. We've really been missing out over the years. <laughs> I had no idea. I know. I got to start buying some records. Here's another good one. These guys are a little goody goodier than Dockin, even. Striper, Heaven Sent. God Squad proves metal and religion mix. <laughs> Robert Sweet says if we were sacrificing animals on stage, then that would bother me. I'm, I'm glad he came clean about that. <laughs> I just see a striper sacrificing animals on stage. Uh, Old Testament style. Yeah. Let's see. To Hell with the Devil is a pretty controversial title. How did you come up with it? One night on the last tour, I was in the back room of our tour bus, and the title just popped into my head. To Hell with the Devil, I thought. That's the truth. It really goes with what we're saying, and it's catchy. So I asked the other guys how they felt, and they said it was pretty cool. So we decided to use the name. And then Michael and I wrote a song to go with it. Yeah, Robert was, I don't know if he still is, but he was pretty heavily involved with the songwriting back in those days. Yeah. This is pretty wild. This reminds me of something if Bob Kulik would have been a little bit bigger in 87, he'd have been in on this. Metal Master proves to be Deft Diamond Prognosticator. Dio. Baseball Predictions 1987. (laughs) That's where Bob Kulik got the idea from. Maybe. This whole article is basically Ronnie James Dio breaking down his predictions for what is going to happen in the baseball season of 1987. Hmm. Who picked to win? What was your team? I don't know who he picks to win, but he breaks down each team. What was yours? Atlanta? Yeah, Atlanta. And they sucked ass back then. Let's see what he says, the Braves. Dale Murphy and not much else. Yep. But that guy <laughs> comes as close to being a one-man team as anyone in the game. That was the truth. That rings true. Yeah, Dio knows what he's talking about. Uh, The Brewers, he said, they were a real solid team a few years ago. They even won the division, but they've fallen apart last place. (laughs) But, man, that is a super awesome photo of Dio to go along with. It almost looks like a portrait. I wonder if that's a Glenn LaFerman pick. Um, It says... It it looks like it says Glenn LaFerman. Gene Kirkland? Oh, I don't even heard of that guy. Huh, I have no idea either. He's got a little bit of eyeliner on. 
Here's a pretty cool advertisement. This one's called uh, They Were the Stars of Tomorrow and Now They're the Legends of Today. Hit Parader presents The Wild Bunch, a solid hour of metal mayhem. Your very own Hit Parader curated cassette tape that features 18 metal masters, including some bands you've heard of, some bands you have not heard of, maybe. Lizzie yeah. Borden, Castle Black. That's B-L-A-K. You ever heard of that? Nope. Lee Aaron, Black Lace, Raven, Shock Paris. Man, that sounds familiar to me, but I can't put my finger on it. I've heard of that. Some of their stuff got re-released, I think, on FNA a couple of years ago. Also got Anthrax on here, Jag Panzer, Slayer, Tease, T-E-E-Z. I don't remember them. Song's called Party Hardy. <laughs> it's got Megadeth, Possessed, Grim Reaper, Laz Rocket, and Agent Steel. Mm. Could have ordered that cassette in 87. Got a sweet, sweet carving advertisement for the V2200 Tremolo. What an awesome looking guitar. It's very 80s looking for sure. Oh, I love it. It's like a star. Like Carvin used to buy a lot of advertisements in magazines. Yeah, Carvin's, Carvin's got multiple everyone. advertisements in this one. Yeah. Let's see. Up next article, Deep Purple. They're, uh, they're back with the release of House of Blue Light. Ian Pace says, nobody else sounds like Deep Purple, though many have tried. Pretty cool. Deep Purple's still rocking hard in 87. And then the next article, of course, you got to have it. You can't be a magazine in the 80s without it. Not a rock magazine, anyway. You got to have the sexy picture of Lita Ford. Yep. And they're actually going to put an interview along with it just to make the readers happy. Well, they're making that time traveler feel better because they actually talked to her. Right, yeah. They were only going to put the picture in, and then they saw the letter, and they were like, oh, shit, we better interview her, too. But this is pretty cool because this is right, right around the time when Kiss Me Deadly is coming out and uh, the Lita album, yeah, which has yeah, got to be her peak, right, as a solo artist? Yeah, this was right as she was getting ready to break through. She says, I don't mind selling millions of records, but I want to do it my way. When we last checked in with the lovely Lita Ford well over a year ago, she was completing a new LP then called The Bride Wore Black. She was engaged to Black Sabbath guitarist Tony Iommi and was signed to Polygram Records. Times have certainly changed. That LP was shelved, as was her engagement to Iommi, and she's also changed record labels. But despite all the shifts in her life, Lita is happy as a pig in shit and is anxious for the world to hear her latest vinyl opus, Kiss Me Deadly, which should be out within the month. Recently, we hooked up with the Blonde Bombshell to find out more about what she's been up to in recent days. So originally, they were going to call the album Kiss Me Deadly. It just ended up being Lita, right? Yeah, and then it was just Lita, and then Kiss Me Deadly was the lead single. But that was also the one that had the song with Ozzy on it. Mm. Close My Eyes Forever. Right. But you got to have it. You got to have that sexy Lita Ford in your Hit Parader magazine in 1987. Then they got the indie reviews. These are up-and-coming bands. Let's see. Nobody I've... Well, I've heard of Creator. Yeah. They're on not. Creator gets one star. They got a band in here called Joined Forces from New York City. They give them three. Omen, Dr. No, 
each get three stars. But the only artist on here to get four stars is something called Lisa Dominique and the Marino Band. It says, beautiful Lisa Dominique has made quite a reputation for herself over the last couple of years, emerging as England's latest metal songbird. On her latest three-song EP, The Big Kiss, Lisa appears to be reaching out for a broader audience. Sure, such cuts such as Act Tough and Dream Maker still rock out with a fury, but with the production assistance of former Bowie main man Mick Ronson, a degree of pro... A degree of polish has been added that earmarks Dominique as a lass with aspirations for the big time. Hmm. Now they must have thought that was going somewhere, but apparently not. I've never heard of this. Never group. heard of that either. Might be something to look into. Well, you got Doug Marks for the guitar players. And if you want to be a singer that kicks a lot of ass and breaks a lot of glass, then you need Jim Gillette's metal power. I remember that. Jim Gillette was once singer of Nitro and the original lead singer of Tough before Steve Rochelle came along, and he was the vocal instructor that was in a bunch of these magazines back then. Have you ever wished you could hit those scorching high notes? If so, Metal Power is for you. Instructor Jim Gillette has combined extensive opera training along with his own unique style to create a method of singing guaranteed to improve your range and power. His ads were all over the place, too. Was it, This was before he did Nitro, wasn't it? I don't know if it was before Nitro or around the same time. I mean, we're talking 87, so it couldn't have been that far off. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, yeah, I remember these ads and people say, oh, my God, that guy can break a glass with his voice. Uh-huh. I remember all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they got all different lessons you can order. What's cool here is, I mean, we're talking like 1987, so all these guys got the massive hair. And I remember being a kid, look at these magazines and look at the rock stars and be like, how the hell do they get their hair to do that? You know, I wanted to be a rocker. I wanted to have cool-ass hair, but I, you just a normal person can't grow their hair that way. Well, if you stop and you look at the uh, page that's got Jim Gillette's Metal Power on it, and you go all the way down to the tiny left corner of the page... They got a little phone number down here that you can call, and it goes for Long Hair Rocks. <laughs> so those are the people that worked on his hair? Long Hair Specialists. Ah. I didn't know there was such a thing, but, I mean, back then, what, nobody knew about hair extensions and things like that. Not Probably cert- pretty l- lucrative business at the time. Most definitely. Certainly not some kid <laughs> in Wisconsin reading a magazine. Mm-mm. But I got to imagine, you know, when you think about the MTV music video era, when these bands had to have that certain look and they had to have the hair up to the ceiling, much like Jim Gillette's got here, you just can't grow that shit on your own. I mean, it's not natural. <laughs> I wonder if somebody should call this phone number and ask for long hair specialists and see what they say. It's an emergency. Yeah. Well, here's a band up next that... Don't put a lot of stock into their hair. They're just normal dudes. The heavy metal cowboys. Sacramento Quintet shoots for greatness with mechanical resonance. And it's Tesla. Look at these young kids. Yeah, they look like children. They are children. <laughs> it's wild to look back at these. Like the pictures, too. You know, it's These guys are so young. So cool. I love going through these old magazines. Oh, and of course, you got the fireworks page. <laughs> tall paul fireworks tall paul's fireworks in case fireworks are illegal where you live get your fireworks where all your favorite rock stars get them 
You need your whistling moon travelers. You need your cluttering bee rockets. You need your, oh, geez, there's all kinds. I don't remember ad for fireworks. This is the first time I've seen this. Get your jumping jacks and your butterfly rockets the same place as Don Dockin. <laughs> all kinds of different stuff here. Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot of fireworks ads in the magazines either. I wonder if this was something that got cracked down on. Probably is. Because it was, you know, young kids reading these rock magazines looking for trouble. Nothing spells trouble more than fireworks. Yeah, it's probably highly illegal. Yeah, I would imagine that this may be the last appearance of a fireworks ad in a rock magazine. So you can get vocal lessons to break glass. You can Uh get fireworks and you can get a necklace that has a swastika on it. You're covered. And hair extensions. Yeah. You got it all. Everything you need is in this magazine if you're alive and well, living in 1987. Right. Of course, you got to have the Bon Jovi picture. God, he's handsome. Look at that handsome (laughs) devil. No wonder the ladies went crazy for this guy. Yeah, he had the hair. John and the boys keep rocking as Slippery When Wet passes 5 million sales plateau. Yeah, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing those guys. Yep, they're number one, all right, in the world of rock in 1987. This is kind of my favorite part to look back on, is the T-shirts and the jerseys and the necklaces and all the cool things they got. I love looking at these old ones. These are things like when I was a kid, I would just, like, man, if I had the money, I would get that Kiss T-shirt, and I would get that Motley Crue shirt, and I would get this, and I'd, oh, look at that Ozzy, and I'd have these all circled in my magazines when I was a kid for all the ones that I wish that i could have yeah me too this one's pretty cool i like how they got like the slayer and the poison right in the same area <laughs> i had that uh kiss animalize one back then that's a badass shirt i like that yeah it uh it faded really badly but yeah i had it back then because i gotta imagine these are like a lot of them probably bootleg shirts i had the asylum shirt but it was faded so bad that eventually it was like well it just looks like shit now it might have looked better than the cover. Maybe. <laughs> Can't hurt. I remember I used to really want the uh, Metallica Metal Up Your Ass shirt. I had some friends that had that one. Yeah, that was badass. <laughs> I had a kid get thrown out of school for wearing that one. Nice. Badge of honor. Yeah. You need $8,000? Can you draw an elephant? Uh, no. Then you can draw Snuffy and get $8,000. Yeah, my brother used to enter all these things. But he never got nothing, did he? Nothing. That son of a bitch, Snuffy. (laughs) Stealing kids' dreams. I like this a lot. Ron Keel is in this magazine. I saw that. He's the man that's uh, trying to entice you to subscribe to Hit Parader. You save $5 off the newsstand price, and Ron Keel knows... When you're pioneering the final frontier, all you need are two things, the right to rock and hit parader. He says, I want to be the guy to play heavy metal in outer space. That's how Cadet Keel tells it. I'm sure hit parader will be right out there with me. That's quite a uh, come hither look Ron's giving in this photo. I need to I need to send this picture to him. I bet he'd get a laugh out of seeing it again. You know you want to subscribe to Hit Parader, <laughs> baby. Hey, Ron, look seductive. <laughs> look, 
Look seductive like you're trying to sell a beautiful woman a hit Parader magazine. <laughs> exactly. I love the pink shirt, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, the back pages of the hit Parader are always cool. Got the lyrics and everything. Look, there's some Vinnie Vincent Invasion even for you. Oh, lovely. Got some badass picture discs. Got the Metallica Creeping Death and the Kiss one. I don't know what that is. I don't either. I don't think I ever saw that one. But that's from the good old Hot and Heavy classic rock magazine standards. What is Skunk Buds? I don't know. What is this? Order it's just now some stupid catch shirt. Because the there's nothing like a good bud. It is. It's just a shirt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought maybe they were selling weed in the hit parader. It might have been a front for it. Could be. Order a t-shirt, get an eighth. Oh, shit. The next one's great. Spandex pants. Yeah, you got to have the spandex pants. Metal Express clothing from Tucson, Arizona. And then, of course, the shark tooth earring. Yes. What good is the spandex pants and the hair extensions and all that without the shark tooth earring? You got to have that. And the swastika necklace. Yeah. Send four dollars for a single, or seven dollars for a pair. It's 1987. You know you got to have it. Do you remember back in those days they used and then I get this is sensitive time, so just run, bear with me, listeners. But back in the day, if you were a guy, you had to wear one earring. If you wore two, it meant something. And then you it had that? to be it had to be in your left ear also. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there were rules on earring etiquette. I know. That's funny because <laughs> I've never had my right ear pierced all these years. That scarred me from being a kid. <laughs> because I knew a kid who came in one day with his ear pierced because that was a thing. Like, here, here's how funny. We'll talk about 1987 for a second just off the cuff. But when I was a kid in 87, I wanted my ear pierced so bad. I wanted to be a rocker with an ear piercing. And my parents were just like, no, you're not doing that. And so what I would do is I would pierce my own ear. I pierced my own ear with a thumbtack on a school bus Ooh. and stuck an earring in it because I wanted it so bad. And I would wear it all day at school, and I would take it out at night when I was around my parents, always keeping my head turned so that no one would ever notice. And then at night when I'd go to bed, I'd put it back in so that it wouldn't grow closed. Right. Take it out in the morning, back on on the bus, and we did that. That's that's so dumb when i think back on it but it was so important to me i guess yeah. in 1987 ish but i knew a guy that got his ear pierced and he got it pierced on the right hand that the right earlobe and he was ridiculed for it yeah. you know and like you said you know these are different times back then and nobody said hey who cares you know you just didn't want to get picked on because you were in the junior high and he got ridiculed for it, so it was like it became a thing. Now, I've had multiple earrings, but they've always been in the left ear, and I've never had my right ear pierced because of it. <laughs> yeah, I did mine once. I used a, a needle and an ice cube and did it, and it still hurt like hell. Yeah. And, uh, it didn't get infected, but I just I, I didn't have the vigilance to, to keep it open, so I think it lasted for a couple of days. I was like, oh, screw it. I don't need it. <laughs> You gotta be pretty tough and pretty motivated to pierce your own ear. Yeah, it wasn't as cool as I thought it was when I did it, so I was like, all right, I don't need it. <laughs> and then they got a bunch of other cool stuff in here. They've got uh you see the one with the tie? Get the uh, noose neck tie. 
Oh, I see it. Yeah, it's kind of faded, but I can see it. It's hard to tell because there are little pictures in the magazines, but they got all the usual stuff, you know, write songs and send them to us. We promise not to steal them from you. Play yeah. guitar in seven days. That's always the classic. That's what that's what a metalhead wants to see. Like, I need to learn how to play guitar like Robin Crosby. Yeah. Picture of the chick show, smiling with the acoustic guitar. Yeah, they show a picture of Joni Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little corner advertisement here. If you want to join the Kicks fan club, they got a hotline. That's 1717-762-1312. Give them a call today. The Kicks hotline. That's kind of cool to see, though. It is pretty cool. For information, send $1.50 legal size self-addressed stamp envelope to Kicks International Fan Club in Hagerstown, Maryland. Beautiful boots for musicians from Minneapolis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beautiful boots from Minneapolis. You're a rocker. That's where you get your boots from. You don't get cowboy boots from Nashville. Not if you're a rocker. You got to get them from Minneapolis. Yeah, they got more fireworks, more spandex, all kinds of good stuff. Master of Puppets lyrics. They got the metal by mail list is pretty cool. That's another thing. It's a metal disc where you can just send in. Here you go. Here's your guy right here. Starship soars with Carvin. Yep. Craig Chiquico. Yep, from Starship. He's endorsed. <laughs> then, of course, this was always the part I didn't really care about because I wasn't a musician. I just wanted to learn about songs and stuff. But then you got Instrumentally Speaking, which was something cool that Hit Parader always did because they had something in the back for the actual musicians. And when you're mm. talking about 1987, there's some wild stuff in here. That's a weird Ibanez guitar. Yeah, that's a MIDI guitar. It's almost like a like a synthesizer. Did you ever see the movie um, Vice Versa with Fred Savage and Judge Reinhold? No, I don't think so. It was where something happens and they like they like they end up in each other's body, and so Judge Reinhold's going around as an adult, but he's got Fred Savage's like personality, and he goes he goes ends up going to the mall, and and he Fred Savage is a musician. And he he wants to be a rock star, so Judge Reinhold finds this actual guitar. I'm almost positive it's the same guitar as this, and they start jamming with the guy at the music store. <laughs> That's so 1987. Yeah, and the band Malice is in the movie too. Wow. Yeah, it's a funny movie from back in the day. See, and this kind of shows too the uh, the changing times in in musical instrumentation, even in '87, because they got the area digital effects pedals, but they also got this weird. Simmons SDS7 electronic drum kit. Yeah, Eric Carr used to use some of those pads for his drum set. I thought something like that looked familiar. At least he blended them. That's a weird-looking thing. Yeah, that that's a full electronic kit. But those, those are still popular today. But it is 1987, so you can't get away from the straight rock. They got the area digital effects pedals. They've got the uh, Carvin bass amp. Zildjian cymbals. That's timeless. But this guitar I wanted to ask you about, have you ever seen anything like that? I have, and I used to want it really badly. <laughs> it looks it's like, like a, the fender off an old 50s Chevy. Yeah, that's what it's designed to be like. Uh, yeah, it was uh, They had it was like candy apple red on the outside, and the, the pit guard was white. I used to really, really want that. That's a trip. There ain't no telling how much something like that would cost nowadays. Oh, I, I haven't seen one since back then. They probably go for a lot of money now. All right, and then finally, we're here, the back cover. (laughs) 
We saved the funnest thing to talk about for last. <laughs> it's the advertisement for Kiss Exposed VHS. Yeah, they uh, they tried hard with this one. Yeah, they did. But, I mean, it is what it is. It It's made to look like uh, the cover of, like, a tabloid magazine. Yeah. Material so hot, it melts fat off Iowa farmer who found it. That's, you know Gene came up with that line. I was just say, what the hell does that even mean? Uncensored photos of Gene Simmons and groupies in action repeatedly. Uh-huh. No thank you. See, and somebody thought, you know, if you put it like that, it'll make it sound like it's a sex tape. Way before oh, there was totally such a thing as a sex tape. They were going hard on the sex angle. Definitive link found between sex and rock and roll. Yeah, they weren't hiding it. Anybody that's ever seen Kiss Exposed can tell you that. A lot of good boobs in that in that video. I love that video. I can't believe my parents bought that for me. And I can't believe that they never wondered why I never watched it around them. Oh, my mom hated buying that fucking thing for me. And she's like, it was the whole, uh, well, let me go back to the cover of it. Because it, it says, yeah, well, they reference it at the top. But it's like, it says like this video will discuss some and titillate others. Yeah. And she read that out loud at the the. It was, I think, a Suncoast video next to Sam Goody. And she's like, am I really going to buy this for you? I will not have you be titillated around the house, young man. Oh, she was totally disgusted by the whole thing. She was just like, I never want to see this. (laughs) (laughs) No problem, Mom. It would be uncomfortable for me to watch it in front of you anyhow. Yeah. But I gave her credit. She still bought it for me. I couldn't believe it. That's awesome. Kiss Exposed, yeah. 90 minutes of nonstop action, interviews at the Kiss Mansion, concerts from the vault going back to 1975, seven uncensored song videos, footage no one has ever seen before, and digitally mastered sound. Get yep. it today on VHS Hi-Fi from Polygram Video for only twenty nine ninety five. That was the other thing she complained about was the price. I was going to say, looking back <laughs> on that now... That seems like a lot of money for 1987. It was. I think I had to, if I remember right, I had to pay for half, and she paid for half. I got to imagine that was how it went down with my parents, too. I don't remember exactly, but it it would have been something that I would have probably had to save my own money for for a long time. But I mean, what I is. I thought it was so cool back in the day. What's 30 bucks in today's economy? Like inflation and all that included. That's got to be at least 60 bucks, right? Probably. So if Kiss, nobody, nobody Kiss Exposed came out in 2020, it'd be 60 bucks. Would you buy it? Well, if it, if videos were still a thing, and that's how we watch stuff, but now there's no chance. But yeah, I'd do it all over again. Oh, sure. I thought it was amazing back in the day, and it, it has not aged well. No, it definitely hasn't, and it's funny to think back as a kid in around 87, 88, whenever I seen it for the first time, I totally bought it. I thought it was 100% legit. I thought that's how those guys really lived. I thought that was their host. They lived there together. You thought they really had a pet monkey. A pet monkey and multiple carols. I believe yeah. that Paul Stanley was going caroling every night. I believe that Gene Simmons had women that would change places in the trophy room. You know, I I totally bought in all that, and I thought that's what life was all about there for a minute. Well, you know, the the women's heads in the trophy room is offensive enough, but not as offensive as what Gene is wearing during that scene. What the <laughs> hell? He's got like a red silk shirt, a red cape, and it looks like white sweatpants on. It's it looks ridiculous. 
goes back to kind of what we talked about on Torpedo Dudes this week that we just recorded before we recorded this about how Gene really didn't know how to be after he took off the makeup. And that outfit is a testament to that. And I remember even when I was an impressionable kid that worshipped these guys, the part where he gets off the stupid throne thing, just call me Mr. Hollywood. I was just like, oh, that's fucking awful. It is awful. <laughs> even I was embarrassed for him, and I was 12. It's like, who did he go to? Like, what is, <laughs> what is a cool, sexy dude hanging out in a mansion? What kind of stuff does he wear? Oh, the white oh. pants, red shirt, cool, cool. Uh, he needs a cape, though, right? Yeah, I got to have a cape. Do you think Shannon Tweed used to like play these videos like this one and Kiss Meets the Phantom and just skewer him for it? Oh, man. Kind of hard not to, I would imagine. God. Or his kids. You know they got a lot of laughs out of some of this shit. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like, that's our dad. <laughs> he says, hey, stupid kids in Wisconsin that were 12 years old thought yeah. this was real. So, there you go. Oh, I fell for all of it. <laughs> yep, me too. Hook, line, and sinker, and glad to do it. But that was life in 1987, and this going through and going through this magazine was a cool ass reminder of what it was like to be a kid, kind of in the favorite part of my life. You know, I look back on that, and it was so much discovery and so much figuring out who I was as a person, and being totally misguided by people like Ozzy Osbourne and Gene Simmons and the people that I thought were the one thing that really you grow up and you realize, oh, well, they're just normal people too. Yeah, but it was a just it reminds me of a simpler time because you know the internet hadn't controlled everyone's lives yet so you would you'd wait once a month to get your metal magazine so you could see what was going on it was i you know kids don't have that now where everything is just so instant back then you had the you know the anticipation of that of hit parader and circus and metal edge coming out every month yeah and that's just it right there i was gonna say that's that's the whole word right there it's anticipation it's extinct in this day and age and it's sad that kids don't have anticipation anymore you know anything you want is there now this we had to kind of wait on and that's what made it special it's kind of like waiting on release day for your favorite album your favorite cassette or cd eventually and you know waiting for it Waiting for the concert tickets, waiting for the concert, waiting for the band to come to town, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting created this thing where once it finally hit, it was a big, big deal. Nowadays, you know, what are you waiting on? Nothing, really. Yeah, but it's then all instant. You, but then what do you got to be excited about? Yeah. I'm sure they have ways of getting excited for stuff, but I don't know. I the, the, Sometimes the waiting was the most fun part of it. Yeah, it seems like it looking back. So this was a lot of fun today to go back through this magazine. It took me back to my youth. I know it did you too. Yeah, and you know we want to hear you know on the podcast page on Facebook on the uh, on Twitter and on definitely on the YouTube video when it comes out. You know, give us your feedback on this. Tell us what stuff we got right, what stuff we got wrong, because I'm sure we got some stuff wrong. And uh, tell us your memories of you know 1987 if you were around back then. Yeah, what was your life like in 1987? I know mine was awesome, and I loved it a lot, and I miss those days. Yeah, me too. All right, before we get out of here, like Chris said, check us out on our Facebook page. Check us out on Twitter. You got to check out Decibel Geek TV, uh, decibelgeek.com. That's where we got some writers still, I think, kind of. 
doing stuff over there for us once in a while, but that's like the main hub of everything. If you want some extra Decibel Geek in your life, you go on over to Patreon.com, become a Decibel Geek VIP. Like I just said a minute ago, we just got done recording a new episode of the Torpedo Dudes. That's our KISS podcast. And I'm always sending stuff to Rock and Ron to release for our Chris and Aaron show. It's just a lot of fun extra stuff, and there's some really cool things in there. A lot of stuff that don't make it on the show ends up in the Chris and Aaron show on VIP. So if you need some extra decibel geek in your life, that's the best way to do it. Get yourself a T-shirt over at clickteeshop.com. That's clickteeshop with a K. All kinds of cool stuff over there to check out. Get yourself a T-shirt. We want to see a picture of you wearing it, doing something fun and cool. And, of course... Give us a review or a recommendation, please. We're all out. We are fresh out of love, and we need some more. So if you could do that for us, any one of those things, we'd really appreciate it. And we're always going to be here for you. We've got a lot of cool stuff planned coming your way in the next couple of weeks, so stick with us right here on the Decibel Geek Podcast as we do what we do every single week, and that's celebrate hard rock and classic metal music along with you, the fans. And that's what we are, too. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.